0: discretion is advised as we cover many an insane movie and numerous cult TV phenomenons. Now, are you ready to get jacked up? Are you with us? Then listen on. So it's like one
1: of those things where I'm like, uh, Darren, take that portion out. I didn't realize we were starting yet. You know, that kind of thing.
0: Oh, my God. That's great. I'm glad that he's learned the gist of it. Now. <laughs> you guys are just so animated. It's like, yeah, when, when, once you're once you're on, you can't stop. <laughs> there is no pause, you know, <laughs> stop hammer yeah. time know that.
1: <laughs> well, and Psycho-Semantic cast, he really he, – he kind of adapts that whole like uh, – almost journalistic thing where he just lets his guests rant and rave and then he gives a few things or asks a question to try and direct it um, conversation wise but at the same time he also has this like real laid back thing where he'll just let whoever like if he has more than one person on they'll just rant at each other
0: <laughs> <laughs> Uh, dude th- that's why I think you'd love two guys One Canuck because they're, they're doing the same kind of like uh what the fuck kind of news that you guys are doing <laughs> and and much like you and Matt, you they they have that just rare. It's like a fucking improv trope. It's like, oh my God, they 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 can't not talk to without each other. You know what I mean? Like they are one whole beast. That's just you know freeheads talking. You know what I mean? <laughs> and
1: and yeah, yeah, totally. They uh,
0: they, know, they know how to tell a natural story. They know how to even be random. But actually funny without just being like, okay, what the fuck are you guys talking about? You know? And, oh, it, it, It's a rarity. I mean, I, I've done this with some of my independent actors I've worked with. Some of them are very talented martial artists and know how to just kind of say a lot without saying much. And then I have all these other guys. They want to keep just bullshitting. And it's like, no, you guys suck when you're not giving a script. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> you guys No. There's a reason you're better off as a stuntman or, let alone a stunt cock, than an actual. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. yeah. Hello. Yeah. Is uh, are you available, to Court?
1: <laughs> you're gonna need a really, really serious micro lens to be able to handle me.
0: Oh. <laughs> And so here I am, welcoming to my podcast, Port Psyops, from the Cinema Psyops podcast. How are you, buddy?
1: <laughs> I am excellent, although I'm not sure what we're going to be using that was previously before this introduction, conversation-wise, but I'm oh, always on oh, guard to, to make sure I don't <laughs> say anything too horrendous.
0: Uh, the, the power of editing, hey, uh, you, you can say anything here, as long as you're not, like, trying to do definition of character-worthy shit. I mean... I'm sure Matt Psyops is allowed he doesn't go fuck but I'm just saying
1: <laughs> <laughs> Well, I try not to I've been trying to do the thing where I don't punch down. Like if if somebody is deserving of it, then I'll I'll punch straight, but I don't try to punch down on anybody that doesn't deserve it, you know, like just it's
0: it's oh, go ahead. for the action of, uh, I mean, I do that too. It's just like just say what is wrong. Don't rant, don't don't even say, you know, don't don't be vague. You know, no one is reading, you know, 20 characters just to not even know what the fuck is wrong. You know what I mean? It's just – there's nothing more – I mean, how often do you go on Amazon Prime and you're trying to watch a movie and you can't discern any of the good or bad reviews from the people who clearly worked on it and gave it five stars and the people who are clearly 10-year-olds who can't spell that gave it a one star, you know? (laughs) It's getting sick and old just having – some kind of review or second opinion for anything. I mean, how often do you go to like a, a car repair place or a restaurant and it's like, you don't know anything about this place and you already have a mixed bag of opinions that you can't even get a general gist. It's so inconsistent.
1: <laughs> I, I still try to stick with the tried and true word of mouth and it's gotta be from trusted sources. Like the the perfect example, and look at this professional segue, the show that we're gonna be talking about today as we're <laughs> recording Reprisal. I had no less than four of my friends being like, no, dude, this is like what it's like inside your brain as far as I understand it from watching from the outside. (laughs) You know, they're like, they're like, no, seriously, I think they made this show specifically for, for you. And, you know, like I had like enough people tell me something similar to that where I'm like, yeah, I don't I don't think so. And then like within, I don't know, the first 20 minutes of the first episode, I was like, holy fuck, this is like what it's like inside my brain. Uh, this is this is the kind of thing that I probably would have been I extremely kind of proud to just, create.
0: I listened to about about twenty episodes by you and I did kinda of get the whole, oh I see why why court likes this. <laughs> it's that that general just is like segueing off your segue. I this feels like a mashup of fifties uh style neo noir, I spit on your graves, Sons of Anarchy, taken and even on the water waterfront for lack of a better comparison. <laughs>
1: It's like if David Lynch tried to take a crack at The Godfather, but ended up writing a coherent script that anyone could follow. That's what it's it's really it feels like. And then it has a little bit like because it's produced by the folks who did Fargo, and it's produced by some of the folks that also do or are working on The Handmaid's Tale.
0: So the I visual yeah.
1: yeah, the the visual stylization and the like hallucinatory scenes, and then the 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 sort of things that very they very much feel like a Twin Peaks, Dave Lynchian, David, David Lynchian-type world, it, it really kind of comes across. But at the same time, it does have a very serious, like, through-line classic revenge plot that's really interesting. And believe it or not, even though it's it's supposed to be, like, 50s, 60s timeframe where that's where all the vehicles are set and that's what it seems like, it's almost a fairy tale world where, you know, it's it's like a fever dream of trying to remember things or even like locked in this subculture of folks that are ignoring what is pop culture and just going with their own world that they've they've made that like a rockabilly world that like formed into a gang that became a one percent type uh you know
0: I definitely car got that This is yeah. some buttfuck, you know, backwards in the woods culture that didn't uh, adjusted as much as they had to with modern day life but pretty much had all these modern day cl- cars as well as these 50s cars and you know gangster machine guns and uh, it's funny you bring up how it was very lynchian the lead star of this who i often mistake for other tv actress Anna Reaser, uh, abigail spencer apparently worked on the cr- co-creator's uh, previous show rectify and she was cast instantly in this one lest i checked as the secret Vigilante Doris, previously known as Catherine. And um, she is quite the very laid-back heroine. You know, it seems like lately we've been having everyone, they have to be, like, the next John Wick or Equalizer, and I'm kind of done with it, you know. It's it's so refreshing to have a character that is trying to be its own style as opposed to, I gotta one-up, you know, the last person. I saw some people even comparing this to Kill Bill. I'm like, there's no comparison. There's not even really much of a Tarantino unless... I mean, what? It had gore and language? Come on. You gotta do better than just that. <laughs> uh,
1: I, th- I think it's just the revenge plot with a blonde lady, and it's just a lazy, easy comparison to do yeah. something like that.
0: Absolutely. Um,
1: <laughs> I actually, I think uh, in, was it the third or fourth episode, I can't remember where it is, where she's basically bringing the mobster from the bowling alley to the monster ring guys because they refused to work with her because she wanted to prove a point to them.
0: I think hey. it is episode three or four. No, uh, it has to be episode three because it's before she gets in with the.
1: Right. So yeah, probably three. I yeah. I've, I've been binging them late at night again, uh, to to talk about them for the show after my wife was asleep. So that fever dream aspect of it. You know like trying to fight sleep so i could get in one more episode because i had like three days to get 10 episodes like 10 hours of content in. but I uh, <laughs> didn't have to bro it's okay so <laughs> no nah, it's fine you know I, I was gonna watch it again anyway and you know i'll probably watch it again in a little bit i actually was saving oh, watching shit. it until until i knew that we were going to record um uh, but oh, anyway cool. so it's it's like in the third episode or something Her character is sitting there and this badass gangster guy lays a shotgun right by her because he so does not even perceive her as anything that could even remotely or possibly be a threat. And she makes this very interesting and very cool speech about how she is always underestimated because of how she appears and that she's female and no one ever really sees her as a threat. And she used to resent it and she used to be angry about it. But now she uses the fact that people underestimate her To her advantage, and then she grabs the shotgun and basically states, you know, he doesn't even see her as a threat. And then at one point, the guy's like, okay, now give me back my fucking gun right before she fucking kills him in cold blood. And (laughs) and she's she's staring at the two dudes that run that monster ring like, like, you know, this means nothing to me. This is literally just to show you that you cannot underestimate me. And she murders the dude in cold blood and just basically splatters his guts and all sorts of other parts of him. Across the room, almost point blank with that shotgun, and she doesn't even look back. She's just pointing it over, like like under her one shoulder, by her rib cage, just underneath the guy, and holding onto it, pointing it backwards, and not even looking at him, and just destroys him. And, and so her character is basically wrapping herself in this sort of like Koopy doll almost like sort of pinup girl fantasy world that most people have about what a woman like her would be like and she even specifically makes sure that she always talks kind of like this and makes sure that she doesn't really get perceived as anything other oh, than pretty face. In, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that, that, that yeah and by doing that she automatically has the advantage on everybody around her And just when they kind of get a glimpse of who she really is and then she like lets herself go, like you can see her real rage and her real anger and the real power of that character. But then as soon as that's exposed and too many people get kind of a a look at that or like the wrong people get the look at that at the right time, she immediately retreats back into this shell and just pulls all this like alarm away from people. And they're automatically like, oh, well, that was an isolated incident. She's fine. You know, and I think that's a really interesting thread this show does where it's like. You can never underestimate or judge how someone is capable of the type of thing that, like the violence or or whatever feat that they may be capable of. And it's something that a lot of characters talk to each other about. And, you know, we get this idea from a lot of folks, a really perfect example of this. We are told through most of the series that Joel the mover is this unbelievably deadly man, like that no one, (laughs) no one can touch him. And all you see is him constantly backing away from fights. And it's one of those things where you're like, okay, so maybe he doesn't have it anymore. Maybe he's completely lost it. And when you finally see him cut loose and let go because his daughter is under threat, he is horrifying. He is a fucking monster. But he is, or was, fighting that for so long because he's not afraid of what... What will happen to him if he gets fighting again he's afraid of what will happen to everybody else around him he's, he's tired of living with all of these ghosts and like when he kills the one guy that was in charge just by like punching him yeah. in the throat repeatedly sitting across from him in the same car like without even any leverage and it just basically obliterates the guy's throat and then he goes after that whole like he kills like a whole trailer park worth of these ghouls characters
0: yeah and he's like, got backup but he really doesn't need it I mean
1: cause he's no. No, the he's, other guys are just playing cleanup and literally killing the people cuz he's crippling guys and like bashing their heads in and like you hear bones breaking and necks snapping. He
0: takes a shotgun, but then he doesn't even use it. He just literally just uh, hits everyone with the butt of the shotgun and then just shoots so a, a few other guys behind him is like geez. so he's an honorable warrior kind of in a way, but at the same time he's also just yeah, like you say, he's a cleanup guy. <laughs> and I th- I think a lot of that has
1: a lot of that has to do with Bert's philosophy, too, because it's one of the things that Bert says to Meredith whenever she comes back from almost being killed by the ghouls, where she gets snagged in a trap by someone who I guess is like a sort of sometime girlfriend of hers or or just a really close friend or possibly love interest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, It's vague, however you want to look at it. Like, they're definitely close and they may or may not be sort of an item. It's hard to tell. And when she gets set up and betrayed by uh, that character, and then she kills all the folks and then gets away and then comes back, um, Bert's sitting there talking to her, and she's cleaning off her gun from all the blood that's on it. And he's basically like, I never saw the point of those, because if you have to use one of those, then nothing's ever resolved unless you can do it with your fists. Like, he's basically... Yeah. and, And, like, I think that philosophy goes with a lot of the brawlers. Like, they're like, if you can't do it barehanded, then you can't really do it. And it's, like, the original crop that's like that, because even Bash, whenever he's dealing with things, like, he cleans out a bar and kills everybody after his brother dies, and they're all—they're shooting at him and stabbing him, and he's just literally manhandling them. I think he uses a gun once, but that's only just to put the one guy down with his own gun. Like, he just basically points the gun at him while the guy's still holding it.
0: <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. And, and it, just, it goes well... off. <laughs> It's a while before, you know, in between, you know, the various inevitable, you know, frills and action that we're gonna get from this kind of genre. But it's interesting because aside from however you want to look at the build up, like uh, when it delivers it's like, yeah, you're you're gonna get some unusual in your face violence. You're not gonna get just any kind of violence, you're gonna get some pretty quirky violence here. <laughs> well, and a lot of it is really pretty
1: realistic for for I mean, like it it's a little bit hyperized or, or like hyper stylized in some aspects, but the way that violence usually works is there's usually one person that is way outmatched and not realizing what they're getting into that's more confident than they should be and then the other person just is like handling them like it's nothing like that's usually how it ends up working most really? most fights most fights are not like like but you said like John Wick where you know, there are these two perfectly matched opponents that are going to just, like, trade blows and, like, looking back and yeah. forth for the proper opening or whatever. It's one person oversteps, that next person then puts their fucking jaw through the floor.
2: You know, like, oh, that's, that's just it. How it
0: works. All these stylish action franchises are really spoiling the fuck out of us because we're basically, you know, we're next thing you know is, like, everyone acts like it's got to be better or just as good as that or any other big franchise that's out now is like you know you can just be yourself you know (laughs) Uh, any day of the week i will watch the shield 24 or even some other action crime show just because i know that there's going to be an anti-hero or protagonist with uh unusual skeletons in his closet and i just find that way more fascinating than how will he kill everybody as opposed to you know Like I say, John Wick or Tarantino, where we gotta have everyone be all just over the top, let out you know millions of f bombs per minute. (laughs) It's just like, you know, I, I that that's cool and all, but I need a little something, a little more. Just feel that oomph. I got full delivery because basically someone put some serious thought into this, and it wasn't about how many bullets he or she fired or. How they decided to plan out the revenge—it was all kind of just kept in suspense. And then when it hit me, it's like, okay, cool. I, I didn't expect that. Now I want to go back and see all that build up again.
1: <laughs> yeah, the suspense aspect of it, watching it again to to talk about it with you, really did kind of stick out forefront for me. Um, I tend to be the popcorn viewer where I just want the violence, I want the bloodshed, and I'm literally just <laughs> waiting for that. Like, give me give me the tits, give me the blood, give me the death, give me all of that. First up, and then the next time around when I watch it, or if I'm watching it for not just pure entertainment value and I want to get more out of it for something to talk about, (laughs) that's when I start looking more at like some story wise stuff, and you know I stop giving characters nicknames when I don't know their names. I try to learn the actual character names and stuff like that.
0: (laughs) Do you ever call them their nickname from like a character that they previously portrayed? (laughs) Oh yeah, um, Joel the Mover. I was referring to.
1: I I can't think of the name off the top of my head, but. his character from Westworld. I, I was calling him that the first time I, I watched it with my wife. <laughs> you know, like, when I was talking about, because I had just freshly watched the first and second season of Westworld right when we started at the original time, and I'm pointing at that guy and calling him that, and she's like, his name's Joel, honey. I'm like, I know, but he's that guy,
0: you know? <laughs> well, it's interesting that you watch it that way. I, I usually just kind of get all the notes right off the bat, like how many times someone, you know, said the F word, how many tits I saw, and then, yeah how many kills they unleashed but sometimes it's impossible because you know uh in, that, in today's world all the fight scenes are like dynamite you, you, you blink and you miss <laughs> it's interesting how like you say the going back to suspense it is kind of a part uh new age noir but for the most part uh, if it's not keeping you in suspense then it's just kind of very slow brooding there's a lot of slow brooding movements I, I like here and there's a few others that didn't really jive with me and most of them are just the ones set at the strip club and all that just because i didn't find some of the supporting bikers all that intriguing but uh joel is definitely the strongest out of them because he's clearly you know he's 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 no fool and i had issues with uh the ethan guy because it seemed like you know he's clearly a highlight but he doesn't really become relevant to like the last two episodes or something like that
1: the reason i think you Ethan is in there is so that you can be brought into this fairy tale world that is just so ridiculous and over the top, and he's just as lost as you are as the viewer, so you uh, you learn about this yeah. world from him, so he's literally just there to be like your stand in so that you are seeing things through his eyes, like the first time through the the actual like bangerang where he gets led bang-a-rang. through it all
0: <laughs> this is a great name, yeah That's he gets
1: <laughs> he gets let in. To the Bangerang, and he's like brought all the way through it, so he can be introduced to Maddie and the the Three River Phoenix guys that are in need of somebody because just stuck. <laughs> yeah, that that are the, that have been um, you know, just basically like left behind or, or, like they they're they're the two that are always stuck there, is him and Johnson, and uh Johnson, I was calling like I think it was it Zaz or whatever I think was he's... the character that he he was in the Batman movies. <laughs> he was the crazy the... guy
0: that was getting interrogated. Oh God! It, no, it wasn't the... Zaz. Uh, does he have a big johnson
1: <laughs> i don't remember but like johnson's the big tall guy with the the pompadour type hair that's been like a river phoenix for like ever like all the way back when joel was one with his would-be wife you know uh, like
0: okay uh, like yeah
1: it, like it was always him you know oh like it, yeah
0: played by david desmelsian yeah from the dark knight and prisoners yeah i love that yeah. dude
1: <laughs> yeah yeah and uh this is probably the role that i've loved him the most and he's great uh that guy is just totally fucking a david lynch character just jammed right into this because he doesn't talk yeah. a lot and when he does he says this really profound stuff and he just knows what's about to happen and he's just like whatever fuck you
0: <laughs> about everything right well and it's earned and I, I you know i would actually watch a season or a spinoff that was all about him he's just a very mesmerizing actor he gets typecast as all these ex-cons and everything and every, that's where i just have to tell people it's like it's okay to be typecast if again you you're you are that believable in that kind of role you <laughs> know it's just and well yeah uh, do
1: you want do you want a career or do you want like amazing fucking acting roles that you know will come along once in a lifetime and no one will ever remember because I guarantee yeah. you, Dick Miller does not re- re- regret being Walter Paisley in, like, 50 different fucking movies. Like, he didn't regret that <laughs> he, at all. Yeah. He no, didn't regret but,
0: that. No. And, I mean, would you rather they be miscast? <laughs> <laughs> because there's plenty of people who you can't see in comedic, romantic, or even even action roles. <laughs> is, so, I'd rather have someone who looks like a creep play a creep than someone who doesn't look creepy playing a creep. So. Uh, Well, and I don't even think he looked all that creepy in this He looks like an everyday kind of guy who could either, like his character does here, say unexpectedly fucked up shit or uh, just be kind of a chameleon, like a sociopath, kind of. And I think that's – he has that ability. I don't know where the area that the actor has to go to get that performance, and that's not my business, but I mean (laughs) – I- I'm sure he's just good at that. I'm sure he gets that all the time. He's like I see you as this kind of creep, so he's like, okay, I'm gonna do the part justice.
1: <laughs> yeah, and the it's all in his eyes. Like he's really good with just giving <laughs> a stare at the camera that just looks like he's going to destroy whatever he's looking at.
0: Yeah, body language is way better in my opinion than you know how how you're gonna deliver just the lines.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, like, the best actors do talk. all. Yeah, the best actors do all their stuff in their facial expressions anyway, because, like, you could have a million people say the exact same line, and the one person that delivers it with just the right affectation and, like, hold of, like, some kind of a look on their face is going to make it work. Like, you wouldn't really have any of Brian Cranston's dialogue in Breaking Bad work if you gave that to, say, Kiefer Sutherland, because he wouldn't be able to do what... Brian Cranston does you know that's not the kind of role that like a Kiefer Sutherland could pull off I don't think you know I don't even think that's great of an example because he probably
0: would have been an okay Walt you know (laughs) Uh, you know I I actually wouldn't have mind him just but that's just because I've just seen all his other independent films where he's been an assassin or a uh, ex-con so I mean I think he would definitely be more of a whiny or just uh crybaby <laughs> Walt, but that's a good example i know I, I see where you're going with that i mean I, I, i'm kind of the same way with I, I went back to Vic Mackey. have you ever seen the shield i'm a huge fan of the shield yeah oh so. man you should totally do an episode on it but uh uh yeah yeah i mean uh i, I saw all the other people who that uh, they did not want to see checklist for that role yeah, he was going against his agent's advice he went to the gym he worked out shaved his head and Still, director Clark Johnson just admitted in various interviews, he's like, Yeah, I didn't want to see him. I only knew him as that guy from Daddy O and the Kamish. I'm like, I'm not seeing that fucker. And then he sees the uh, audition. He's like, Yeah, there's no way I can't not cast him now. It's just, it, it really does make you wonder how many of these actors, you know, brush up on their acting once in a while, like with a private coach or with other acting friends, and how many of them just try and just adapt to every role every time. Cause you can definitely tell, uh, you know, uh, the ones that are still studying from the ones that are just kind of becoming too comfortable and not giving, you know, every post, you know, famous role they're worth. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you, then there's you, other times you get where a certain you thing, don't know. <laughs>
1: you, you get a certain thing where you expect a bunch of mannerisms that the same person is going to put into a movie. And then you, you like it's almost like typecasting but it becomes like a star stunt cast thing where you know for sure that whenever you put that particular actor in the role like you don't hire Robert De Niro to cry on camera cuz he's no fucking good at it anytime anybody's <laughs> ever tried to make Robert De Niro emote anything other than rage or anger he just can't do it like it's horrible and analyze this and that whenever he tries to cry and be emotional any other kind of movie like Frankenstein that uh kind of Branoff did just he totally does not work as the monster in that at all because he's just completely miscast for that you don't put de niro in that kind of thing because he's a tough guy that's all he can really do and he's really fucking good at it
0: it's funny you bring that up i just resaw mean streets and deer hunter and deer hunter is definitely an example of a guy who is a stone cold warrior but clearly has a heart so he definitely knows how to be a tough guy who shows subtle bits of humanity and i think that's what's plagued a lot of these other italian american guys like I- i've just seen pacino recently in uh hunters i was just so let down how it's like okay cool he knows how to play a jewish you know nazi hunter but he's still kind of struggling to just not be you know pacino hoo-ha! you know <laughs> so right you get known for stuff and
1: like he's always going to be doing sin of a woman after sin of a woman that's like a, a good demarcation point to kind of prove what we're talking about like there's yeah. Pacino before sin of a woman where he's all over the place and hey, still very much Pacino hey, you know?
0: yeah there's yeah. scarecrow dog day afternoon Pacino and then yeah and then there's he sin of a woman Pacino who is just he's got to be weird and quirky and just pretty much be a dick to everybody
1: <laughs> and he gets stuck in, in in that sort of role and yeah like a really good example of before Son of a Woman kind of Pacino that's actually really, really good is Sea of Love, where he plays that sort of like forlorn detective type character.
0: Yeah, and- that's the perfect in-between point where he's comfortable and just everything's working there. The filming, the, the editing, and everybody's... I mean, there's even a bunch of comedians like Sean Goodman in that serious role. So yeah, that, there's definitely... Uh, I think this is kind of like Sea of Love where it's just everybody is comfortable with each other, so everybody's cranking out their best stuff. And it says a lot when you're playing people who are hostile with one another. (laughs) It's just just never any good when you feel like everybody's just – it's just like when you see a bad fight scene. Everybody's over-choreographed it to where – what ended up being the final take still wasn't any fucking good. You know, it Just and here is like, everybody's been practicing enough. It's like, they know the marks, they know uh, where to go with the character and how, you know, not to try and one up each other.
1: <laughs> yeah. There's really not a lot of showboating in a lot of the stuff that's with revival at all. And if there is any kind of showboating, it's, it seems almost like the actors are trying to be more understated and more subtle and play out their best for last. Yeah. And they're playing out their feelings more or less in their eyes and on their faces instead of like really getting to their teeth with their
0: anger. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Like a perfect example. I can't remember the guy's name, but the the gentleman who plays Bert, um, that actor
0: Cochrane from Days and Confused and CSI Miami. He's, he's a bad. I I also, I also know him as, uh,
1: um, What is it? uh, Lucas from uh, Empire Records. My wife loves that movie. Oh
0: my god, yes. Uh. So there you go. Perfect example of a chameleon who has been doing this from day one and out and Everyone oh, yeah. the set of now they're like oh he's the guy from scanner darkly white boy rick and uh, argo i'm like he was known way before that <laughs> well
1: what's funny about uh this particular actor that we're talking about here is i was trying to point that out to to my wife i'm like that's that's the same guy who played lucas that ended up in csi miami and you know has just been doing all this other stuff and, she, and you know he's there in a beard with like his head shaved and Just looking all rough and tumble like he's probably my father i mean like he looks a lot (laughs) like that kind of guy and and uh so i'm like you know i'm like trying to tell her that and it took me like an episode or two to actually convince her and i had to pull up his imdb from the show from reprisal point out the character of what he looked like from reprisal and then go back and then show her like his list of credits and scroll all the way down to when he was young and then she finally believed me, and it, I think you nailed it when you said he's a chameleon, because he just disappears into all these roles, though, almost to his detriment. But anyway, to get, to get back to it, he does a really good job of containing this feeling of uncontrolled rage that he just has a cap on. Because he's always just kind of there, and he's super fucking menacing, and every time he's on screen, it's like this giant 10-hertz subwoofer-like hit where he's on screen and you're just like rrr, 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 rrr. and then everybody's like oh fuck it's bert you know but then he's just yeah. like how you guys doing looking great you know and like but you can see that what he's actually saying is y'all fucked up i'm pissed i got to be here but like he's just being so like he, this facade that he has this mask that's hiding this psychotic rage on that guy he is really fucking good at doing that And instead of like talking through his teeth whenever he's angry, he'll breathe out or he'll grab his cane and you'll see his knuckles get a little bit white and then he'll release and then he'll talk like to where he's able to just contain it just enough. But the entire time when you're looking at him, you know that in the back of his head, all he's saying is give me a fucking just give me a fucking reason. Like to everybody, like he wants to hurt everybody all the time. And he he gives this bullshit thing of like we're all family here when it's like, no, you're useful now. So that's why you're around. You know, because he's totally a fucking psychopath.
0: Yeah, and but see, this is it. I I loved how from the get-go you know, even before we have this flashback where it shows him rescuing you know, his sister, and even even when his lady pal, his obese lady pal who helps Doris finally exact her revenge on him, you just get this sense, even before his utter quiet moments where he finally comes in the spotlight, he, he just has that gentle giant mentality, or at least that's what he thinks he is, when really, like to say, he is just he just kills to kill. I do think I like how he just, he justifies it, but he doesn't chew the scenery, if that makes sense. He he just naturally just stays. He's like, yeah, I got to kill. That That's, I have to, I have to kill.
1: <laughs> well, and also the, the big thing is like, when the war finally actually starts happening, uh, him and Joel sit down and it's like, Joel has been avoiding him since he came back. And like Bert and Joel are sitting there and they're they're finally having a conversation. And it's like this confrontation thing. And Joel admits like, yeah, I tried to lower their taxes. I tried to make peace. I tried to do everything. I tried not to get you involved, (laughs) you know? And then Bert's like, look, man, it doesn't matter. It could have been Maddie. It could have been this. It could have been that. Nothing we would have done would have stopped this. We would have still been right back here. There would have been this war ever since the ghouls existed. You know, he's just like, he's basically like, we have to exterminate them all. We knew we were going to do this. And it's just a matter of time, you know? And it's, just this whole thing that he lays out, like, of all this stuff. And you know in the back of his head, he was probably, like, hiding away because all he really wanted was for the war to start because he can't lead unless he's in violence. You know, like, there's no purpose in him yeah. for money. You know, Joel is <laughs> Joel's also lying to himself because what he is meant to do is just destroy and wreak havoc and break bones and all of that. But, you know, he gets his daughter, and he thinks that that's—like, he, he is, like, this— loving doting father over his daughter and he is infinitely patient and everybody thinks that like maybe he went soft because of his daughter and the fact of the Mm -hmm. matter is he doesn't want her to be in the life that he's got her accustomed to but at the same time at the same time like he has to protect her from that so he's kind of like he's like insulating her from the rest of the world and like she's got this like she knows what's going on like she talks about the the ladies like they're friendly ladies that uh i I know her i know (laughs) her as boo i always refer to her as boo because she was boo in um orange is the new black so that's what i know
0: Uh, okay
1: (laughs) but like she's the one who runs all the dancers and everything and it's hinted at that these bangerangs are not just like that the friendly ladies quote-unquote aren't just dancers and performers that they're also hookers or that there's some of them that may be hookers as well, and that some of them will dance for gentlemen, but in other cases, they're gonna be fucking them out in the back in the trailers too. You know, cause nobody pays 300 bucks just to go to one strip club. Like, yeah, you
0: know. no, fuck that. And when, um. <laughs> and when they're selling the bangerangs,
1: they're selling it as this thing like you will never regret the amount of sin that you'll be able to indulge in. You wanna get in a fight? We got a fight pit. You wanna drink? We got a bar. You wanna, yeah. you know, like that, that whole like explanation of like what a bangerang is. And then at the same time, they're still kind of hinting, like, you know, people come in to get their freak on, so they come in in mask, they come in all dressed up, and it's literally just an excuse to cut loose and just do crazy shit, and it's not about just stripping, so it has to be some prostitution going on as yeah. well. They just they just say that it's dancing, quote-unquote.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I really liked how it wasn't all about, you know, just, you know, showing just the sleeves, just giving you an idea of just this day-to-day life in this, you know, criminal uh, the body is both having fun and making money off it off itself. And I do like how, uh, like you say, uh, the madam who runs this house is just kind of just very protecting, but lets a lot of stuff just kind of slide just because she knows that, you know, again, there's going to be some crazy freaks out here. <laughs> there's a few other bar fights, which, if I recall correctly, do end pretty viciously. And that's before the whole gang rival gang is just realizing there's a mole spying on the other
1: yeah it, it's a lot of um there's some infighting stuff where the one guy that was quote-unquote the nephew of burke got moved up after like a couple of weeks as being a river phoenix and that ha- and he's uh, he's got a problem with maddie and and johnson so they have an issue and he's going after him and like always talking shit and talking down and like basically looking down on these guys when they're the ones that are like in charge of keeping all the money flowing in all the directions they're the armored ah, yes. car vehicle you know that's what the river phoenixes are for they're i mean that is not an easy job so they should not be like only guys that are recruits that are doing this but it's a good way to bring in a recruit and make them do the hardest job first before they get the cushy life that the other guys that are working security at the clubs
0: do we'll return after these messages hey feeling down feeling low As needed, and let the hosts, Lee Russell, Daniel Harper, Paul Romali, and the odd guest host, Cure What Ails you.
2: Warning, may cause atrophy, African consumption, black fever, bone shave, chin cough, colic, cramp colic, dropsy of the brain, elephantitis, brochure's itch, jaundice, mania, miasma, mortification, palsy, pox disease, rheumatism, scurvy, St. Anthony's fire, summer complaint, and worm fit in some people. Consult a physician before listening. Every Wednesday on our YouTube page, I put a bunch of movies in a bag and PJ picks one out at random. Mm -hmm. And then we just watch it and we talk about it for maybe like an hour, hour and a half, two hours. Whatever we feel like doing, wherever the conversation leads us. But do we actually talk about the movie? Most of the time. Nah. Tangents galore. Yes. So believe me, we may be a movie podcast, but it's not always about movies. We might talk about video games. mm mm-hmm. Music. music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. the big one, music. Uh, sometimes we might get a little bit of politicalness in there. Yes. Sometimes we may just, oh, we know what we like to do. We like to tell stories, PJ. Ah, yes. I am the master storyteller <laughs> yes. of the podcast realm. Undefeated. <laughs> so if you like to hear about movies, video games, whatever foolishness comes to our mind, the most random stuff. You can think of check out the home video hustle you can find us on the stitchers yes the google play yes apple podcast what else pod b what else podcast addict goddamn. all that ain't no reason you can't get your hustle on we everywhere worldwide baby hustle motherfucking hustle hey we can't cuss in the promo pj We ah. gotta be family friendly there may be podcasts out there that don't want his hair to say all that good fun stuff well you <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't, don't run the listeners away, PJ. ah I'm sorry, but this is going kind of long. Yes, yeah, so we'll end this and say, Hey, check out the home video hustle every Friday on all the various podcast outlets. Peace. Peace.
0: As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. And while Witch didn't make it to the top of the world, he did make the Gangs of Hollywood
1: podcast. So join the gang and enjoy a movie review podcast
0: about movie gangs, gangsters, mobsters, and the mayhem they cause. You can find GOH Podcast on
1: Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at GOHpod at www.gohpod.com as well as your favorite podcast listening app. And remember, say hello to your little friend for me. If you take two old punk rockers who are past their prime, put them in front of a movie screen, and give them a podcast, what do you get? Cinema punks. Cinepunks, it's the mixtape of movies. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Oh, necro-
2: It's it's time. Let's check our cue, baby. Pair it with a couple brews, baby. We love your movies. We love the bad ones too. So we watch them all ooh, and pass their ooh, lessons ooh, on to you. Ooh, oh yeah! out! Everything I learned from movies helps to make life a little bit groovy. With a one last black hole, a gratuitous boobies. It's time to get busy with your friend Steven At EILFM.podbean.com.
0: We now continue with our program. That's a good point. I I know who you're meaning you're talking about now. Uh Maddie, played by Rise Wakefield.
1: Yeah, and he's he's got a rival with the other guy that got put, like I forget who Bert's nephew was, but the nephew's not even he's he's only there just to be a pain in the ass. He ends up uh he ends up accusing Maddie of doing the stuff that Ethan is actually doing, like uh being the mole and all that, and then you know, there's some stuff that unfolds there. I don't want to get too spoily with it, but the fight that they have where he's talking shit at Maddie, and he basically is gonna go after Maddie, and without even thinking about it, Ethan just clubs him with a beer bottle hardcore, and yeah. then,
2: then Maddie that. just
1: Maddie just fucking pulverizes his face, and until, like, a couple of the brawler guys just take him out and grab him and push him off the way, and they stop it there, and he's like, you don't hit a brawler. Nobody hits a brawler. That's how it goes. <laughs> you know, and yeah a lot of the a lot of the stuff that they hint at here like you you were talking about how the the sleaze is just kind of under the surface and they're just kind of implying a lot of that but there's also a heavy in, implication for the the banished brawlers themselves are all of these like abused broken human beings that were mistreated mishandled and just turned into sort of like these violent outcast type folks You know, like they all have that same kind of history, but they come together because they know that they can't fit anywhere else. And so it's like the perfect allegory for how like gang life works, you know, like someone that doesn't have a belonging anywhere else has someone that treats them like family, but they take it even further where it's like, everybody has everybody's back, absolutely, in this group. But at the same time, they're all broken. They all know how to fight and they have to prove themselves by doing the hardest, most violent Work first before they can move up and maybe have a little bit more peace and by doing so they end up becoming like these perfected killing machines or these perfected fighting machines and or they or they get sought out to be that way and that's how they get their reputation i mean like joel the mover was clearly a deadly man before he became a banished brawler and got recruited for that and we're told that over and over again until we finally see it. And then when we finally see him actually cut loose, then you're like, holy shit, what would bash be like if he actually like got himself together and stopped drinking? Because in the earlier scenes, you see bash is like way more violent than Joel. <laughs> so Yeah. Just, it's just just showing kind of how.
0: Well, I, I think they, they did that just to show how like he can be the worst, but he's never the instigator. You know what I mean? He's never the guy who starts the fight. He's the guy who ends it. But he didn't have to end the fights those last few times until like the very end when everything got personal. And then it's like, all bets are off. You're going down. Um, I, I do like how how you say, how it's like there there's no point in even justifying, you know, their existence, you know, we've always already seen Scorsese you make a living doing that. So this show is just more comfortable just showing how these guys just kind of their inner thinking, just works and how how they, they just kind of adjust from one you know violent or sexual encounter to the next uh, That they, they already know that they're outsiders so now at this point you know they don't have to justify that they're in good company so to speak mm-hmm. so now they're just pretty much just waiting for their next stage of business and uh, they're almost always especially ethan himself he, he's just always being hit on by someone who's pretty flamboyant or implied as you know gay and then uh, you got a few other guys who are just always just kind of i mean if they're not trying to kill each other they're definitely trying to find some dirt on each other no way he said that fucked up shit about you let's go get him you know <laughs> it's, it's like the a mix of a locker room but it's in a fucking you know bang a strip club
1: well you got these guys that are all very short-fused, very prone to violence, and looking for a way to advance. And the only way to really advance in this world, the the brawler's world, is during wartime. And they all are sitting comfortable and getting fat and haven't had any wartime for so long because they're so good at what they do. They've literally obliterated all the other competition and basically just made peace because they got tired of killing them. You know, like, everybody that works on their behalf basically gets left with the dregs that the brawlers don't want anymore, but still have to pay taxes on it for whatever reason. And it's like 60% of their take goes to the brawlers. 60% of everything they make.
0: (laughs) I was confused by that. I figured, you know, they're already a pretty, uh, they're obviously not low key, but they're already kind of trying to stay under the radar. So I'm surprised they would even be worried about taxes. Do you think that would just be a lot of under the table money in that respect?
1: Everything they do is completely off the grid from normal society. They deal in cash, they sell in tickets, and all of that kind of stuff. So all all their stuff is illegal, and then a couple times a year they have a cop night just to basically bribe the police and keep them from being involved, and or they're bribing the police as well. So they've. I got a s- lot
0: of that implication, but the most yeah. I saw from Crooked Police was when uh, Ron Perlman's lone sharking gangster, who kind of goes in the foreground but is mainly seen in the— first few initial episodes i see him talking to a cop who's an informant for him
1: well what i'm talking about is specifically with the brawlers like they uh, have on on their their river where all of the money comes in from all these different like whatever the highway route is that these guys have to take to collect all the money every single town every single sheriff every place that a bangerang is put up They have a deal already in place. And then the highway patrol, they have deals as well, where everybody's getting a taste of this huge amount of money. And so all the, all the river Phoenix guys really have to do is drive from one end of this route to the other, pick up all the money, drop off all the stuff that they need. And they're like the supply chain back and forth where they're dropping off tickets, you know, picking up money for the tickets, that kind of stuff where they're going back and forth. And so there's even some stuff where um, the one time that the river Phoenixes get pulled over and they're all sitting in the car they're all hungover as fuck cuz they always are hungover as fuck yeah and, and the first time think. ethan's yeah and the first time ethan's like kind of like when they get pulled over ethan's like all freaking out and stuff and he looks up and he's like what about that the car the camera pans up and strapped to the roof of the car is like three tommy guns
0: like yeah. three
1: three desert eagles like they have all this a range of weapons that are just bolted to the the top of like in holsters and things like that that are you know they remove the lining of the roof and it's all up there and then he goes yeah. what about that just don't fucking mention it you know <laughs> right. I'm Like Man, he just doesn't even care and then he he gets snippy with the cop and he's like yeah okay so you pulled me over and he's like can i look in the trailer he's like no no you can't and he basically just is like you should call your boss because you're gonna regret this you know like you're you just- right he just comes right out and says, he's like, you must be new. Cause you don't know who we are. And then the guy goes and makes the call. And then he comes back and he just sends them on their merry way. And that implies <laughs> that like, that's a highway patrol guy. And then yeah. they, they have like, um, and at cop night, one of the other guys is like a, like a stady, I think. And he's taken a leak and he recognizes ethan from like a bolo or something like that where they're looking for him for murder yeah and uh maddie just flat out tells him he's like yeah he's wanted for murder in detroit and ethan's like what the fuck are you doing and then the cops (laughs) like yeah i don't i don't think i saw that and you don't look that familiar i'm wrong i'm sorry (laughs) it just turns around and takes off you know like there's there's several little instances where they imply that not only are the cops being paid off to leave them alone but maybe just maybe the cops are too scared of this gang to fuck with them as well because of the reputation and the violence that they've cut in the past.
0: No, it's, it it is kind of funny. It's like all this, I think they're afraid to even not take the money to not get bribed, you know, because they just know that they'll just be targets. You know, if they say no in that instance, just like any other bribing instance. (laughs) Right. And there there's that. And then there's
1: also, I mean, look at when we first see the opening of the, the show, Whenever Catherine is coming to basically try and talk her brother and everybody else out of what it is that they just did, they slaughtered what twenty or thirty of their own men, the brawlers, just to have an excuse yeah. to take out the goals.
0: There, there were a lot of bodies. I, I counted at least thirteen or something. So
1: <laughs> yeah, okay, let's 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 say it's like little little less than twenty, but there's like a bunch of dudes out there dead with they're putting hoods on them and they're going to take off and just basically say that it was an ambush so that they have an excuse to kill them. They were willing to sacrifice 20 folks just to go to war.
0: They might as well have lynched them or something, because they're doing just demented shit to them. I mean, uh, I don't think think there was any rape or any other just, like, serial killing. They're just flat out just killing, like, shooting and then thrown in a dish. Well, and
1: they're killing their own guys just for an excuse to go after the ghouls. And then when you see... (laughs) <laughs> when you when you see when you see how many actual brawlers are in just the 707, which is the main bangerang that we're at, there's probably 60 shirts just at that one, and then they say something about they have what like nine or ten at least. I, I can't remember, but it's like a ridiculous amount of them. And they show how they. I mean, they got to drive all the way across the country, and they're ever expanding and ever bringing in more. And so there's always more and more of these guys that are being brought in. So this criminal organization the way that these brawlers are set up this is like more intense than say like a hell's angels or any other kind of like 1% type whether it's motor club or you know car culture type club these guys are so well organized and expanding so much you you know that they already have this empire set up so it just has all this built into it to whenever you do see the cops and everything you just kind of piece it together and the show's just like yeah it's it's that bad yes they have that much power Yes, what Catherine is trying to do is that stupid. No, she doesn't care because all she really wants is the revenge.
0: Absolutely. Uh, they do a good job of just trying to bring new life to the biker subgenre of film. You know, because too many movies just for the longest time just felt like, you know, let's rip off Running Cool, Easy Rider, or even Sons of Anarchy for the billion It's Like, no, fuck that. Let's be our own biker gang. And so it's interesting you bring up that point. I totally spaced on that. It's like, I always did kind of get the sense that they were best buds from either you know they were high school dropouts or footballers together and yeah they just teamed up because you know they love each other like brothers you know that they never had and they it is interesting how they are absolutely like uh grasshoppers they're willing to eat their own just to fuel the violent tendency <laughs> and I, I totally spaced on how uh, i was confused at times like which uh, nightclub was owned by which, but it is definitely implied that a lot of them frequent particular ones and just want to if they're not brawling inside they're definitely brawling outside <laughs> and scattering by dawn
1: yeah it's um it's really interesting the way that they develop the entirety of of the culture and what i really found interesting is most of these kinds of um uh, let's just say blue collar style criminal organizations that they're yeah. they're showing here a lot right. of them do, yeah, they they focus in on folks that are usually like motorcycle 1% clubs, but it's really interesting to have a car club that is evolved from this, and again, I'm, I'm coming back to this idea of you can't judge a book by its cover, or you can't judge what's going to happen by the surface or what you can see, and their cars that they refer to as beasts are exactly the same thing. Their cars are even a metaphor for the way that they live. Yeah. Everything everything that makes their cars as amazing and fast and like super chopper like crazy car is all in the engine and it's all there and then the rest of the car is just kind of this hodgepodge of kept together with like spit, bailing wire and fucking bondo you know like <laughs> most of them most of them don't even bother to paint their car they're like rust no. buckets like and and it's also like it, it, it again it fits as a metaphor for their life because like none of them have seat belts some of them don't even have seats like some of the guys you see are probably driving on fucking milk crates like for their seats and their cars and it's all about just having the car so if they crash it they're definitely going to die so that whole live fast die young leave an ugly beat up corpse that's deadly inside you know like that's it's it's there in their car as well and I, I really i really dug that in the the 50s 60s greaser like yeah punk outsiders. aesthetic and rock Yeah, the rock aesthetic and the punk rockabilly aesthetic that's also very rural. You know, like these guys that just kind of went off and hid in in this different area. Like, a lot of that is very cool, and it draws—the aesthetic choices that they made really tell you the story of everything you need to know about the characters in a really interesting way. So you don't have to sit there and have this whole, like, long diatribe discussion of how this particular assassin is the most deadly assassin in the world— because of all of this kind of stuff like a Tarantino would do where goes off and tells you this whole entire fairy tale story in anime form just because no one told him he shouldn't and that was a bad idea and then comes right back to it all you really need to see is one of these guys driving a car and seeing you know how beat up it is and how they talk about it real quick where they're like you build yourself a beast it ain't about what's you know on the outside it's about what's under the hood and they're all like that like, even as human beings, they're all what's under the hood. They don't they don't maintain themselves that well, except the girls, because the ladies kind of have to that are the friendly ladies. But, you know, the yeah, guys are all these just girlfriends,
0: rough and the, These girlfriends, you know, if they aren't uh, natural, just drawn to these, you know, bad guys, then they're definitely either bait or people who, you know, was, uh, you know, got raped and abused and owned and made in housewives. I kind of got that sense. You know, they're just, it, they're their version of trophy wives, so to speak. You know, they're just pretty much saying, You're gonna hang out with me, darling, cause who else is gonna care for you, you know? <laughs> just, and I got, I didn't, I, got actually, to...
1: I didn't get that sense from the women at all. I, I felt like really? they were they okay. were probably they were probably mistreated elsewhere in their life, but when they come to this group with the brawlers, they're a part of it as well. That like they're made family. Better. I think I think the ladies that are in this are every bit as strong as the men. It's almost like a Viking thing where you know, the women have every much of a say as what the men do, and they're a part of it. It just so happens that the brawlers themselves, you know, are, like, the ones who are going and doing a lot of the war stuff is a lot of the men, but, like, you have a few female characters that, when they have to, they will step outside of that that um, facade of, like, the friendly lady that's just there to, to be looked at and, like, you know, be underestimated exactly like Catherine does, Yeah. Where,
0: Captain definitely schools her uh, her other gal pals definitely. Yeah, and uh, it, it
1: it feels like they're all I don't want to just group all the women together, but a lot of the women whenever you're interacting with them like especially Meredith, she's very adept at using her feminine wiles and her her looks and and just basically having everybody underestimate her as just a pretty face and just a performer when in fact she's very much scheming and very much climbing over everybody else just like everybody else in the gang. It's just a matter of she's tired of the same old shit because she was raised in this culture and she wants out. But the idea is once you're out, you're out. You can't come back. So no <laughs> one's ever, no one's really being kept there against their will. And I don't feel like anybody ever comes to the like the brawlers as as like a, a captive. They're if they're captive of anything, it's from whatever they're trying to run away from. When they go to hide out with them.
0: Uh, okay, you know? so they're they're more like uh, much like Bert and Catherine's parents, where they're kind of implied as kind of being abusive, and they run away. Yeah, that's that's how I it, saw it. Yeah. There's def- there's definitely no Bonnie and Clyde people here. Yeah, you know? <laughs> every other biker show kind of plays up that trope. It's like, no, these guys are outlaws, but by choice. They come from violent or tough love or just hurtful families, and they're renegades. And so as a result, there's enough of them in this town that they pretty much have claimed as their own domain. Yeah. I feel like they actually
1: more or less like they've become this, this legend of, if you've got nowhere else to go and no one else wants you become a brawler, go, go be with them. They will, they will bring you in. Like as they're, they're the family of outcasts. They're the Island of misfits toys, you know, that that will bring everybody together.
0: Yeah. They're they're not Lord of the flies. They're definitely misfit toys. Even like you say, S.E. Hinton types, you know, uh, I mean, Joel himself kind of seems like, I'd like to say he's almost kind of like Derry, you know, the older brother in the Outsiders, the book, not the movie. Um, uh, except again, just more prone to, you know, taking out the trash as opposed to, oh, don't, you know, don't put up <laughs> your fists unless you have to, you know, he's, ne- he's definitely not a pacifist. No one here is a fucking pacifist, uh,
1: the only fist passing that they do is when they're passing fists into a ghoul's face. You know, that's, that's about it. <laughs>
0: yeah. Pet, yeah. Duck, duck, wham. <laughs> um, I, I also like a uh, soap opera star and a uh, rising character actress, uh, Louise Barnes, as uh, Joel's wife, uh, estranged ro- wife, uh, Rita. She really steals every scene she's in. And she also stuck out to me because she was in a similar show prior to this about Appalachian biker gangs called Outsiders with the beloved David Morse. I don't know if you ever saw that one.
1: Yeah, I think I watched a few episodes of that where they're like the Appalachian mountain men folks that are completely removed from society. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. That's the premise. Well, like- I... I didn't watch that show that much because, I mean, that's kind of where I grew up. There were people like that where I grew up. Uh, So (laughs) I I was like, that's not what they're like. I've I've met folks like that.
0: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I thought the whole idea was it was an escape from reality. It was people like inspired by gangs, but then they're being more kind of extreme like this one where they're creating their own facility. But like you, I didn't watch enough of it. I just recognized your face from that somehow. And was like, okay. Yeah, uh, and I, cool. I guess I just, I don't know, I didn't give that
1: show probably enough of a shot, but I, I do remember that, and it's it's just like this whole culture of just folks that move up to the mountains to be outside of it, and then they form their own communities and clan or what have you, and it's it's it goes back to, like, you know, like the Scottish settlers that would go to the Appalachia, and they would just go up a mountain mm-hmm. and just live on their own, and they would just form these communities and these families, and you would never really see them until, like, the state forced them to bring their kids to school.
0: Yeah, well I know what you mean. I mean you're you're from Nebraska, and I unfortunately you know am in the Dallas area, but I've seen my share of just the worst of the worst hillbillies, you know, especially near Waxahachie areas. So it's it's definitely one of those where it's like, oh, uh, that, that's a backwards culture. I wish I, I would hate to wish death upon a certain group of people, but at the same time it's like, if you guys just weren't so just socially unacceptable, I would have no fucking problem with it, You know, uh, well whatever well, what, happened to the hippie sub, sub group of people who were just you know in the woods doing minding their business where does all the, these violent guys come from
1: <laughs> well and that's where i have kind of an issue with it and i'm i'm not i want to state i'm not from nebraska this is just where i landed i'm right. actually from pa in, in the appalachia up there is, is where i grew up oh, and, I, and i i knew a lot of those folks that actually were like i said those kind of mountain folk outlaw types that just basically stepped outside of society. And that's why I had an issue with that show, because that's not what they were like. <laughs> that oh, okay. that, that okay. show showed them to be something that they weren't, you know, that, that at all.
0: Okay. So detrimental right. as opposed yeah. to.
1: And and oddly enough, actually the culture that I grew up in was a lot like what the, um the not necessarily the natural strip club bangerang, but like the way <laughs> the, the, the car culture and the taking care of business kind of style that the, Brawlers had where they were like a club Of folks that were like all about their their beast Mobiles and it was you know Mechanics and you know biker Guys and all of that where they're all working together And sort of like Doing some shady stuff you know but I kind of grew up in that culture too a little Bit uh in my hometown because My like where I was was basically like a Truck stop on the major highway You know in the middle of nowhere in the mountains So we would have a bunch of folks that would be coming Through town but our town at the time where I, when I, when I grew up there was very much backwards. So you would have, you would have new technologies, but you would also see cars that were like 30 and 40 years old that somebody was maintaining just because they didn't want to buy a new one. So like there's, you know, and like there's houses from like the 1800s that are right next door to a brand new developed house that, you know, has the the modern day siding and all that kind of stuff. So you would see these weird cross anachronistic type, Towns up of different
0: eras yeah
1: <laughs> right and the one thing that i think this show got right really really well is those types of like like a hotel that time forgot where their gimmick was to bring people in where it's beers and beds or donuts and duva duvets or whatever the, the other hotel was called where it's like there's a donut shop in the hotel you know like as well and you would stop at the hotel and you would be able to get donuts and breakfast and coffee oh, at the fuck. diner that's that's built into it like there were a lot of those kinds of places like these gimmicky hotels where i grew up um there was one that was actually built to look like a ship on the side of the mountain where i grew up and it, it, it was like at one point in time i think it was like the noah's ark hotel and then they just changed it to the ship hotel but it was actually built to look like a ship and it was right off the the main route that went up through the mountains and it would overlook the valley and everything and that was like a tourist trappy hotel that they would get people to try and stay in there there was stuff like that so mm. i don't know Man. i don't know who did the study up on this or if they just created it out of their own head but they actually nailed that particular like real rural sort of mountain
0: it was filmed clutch. in north carolina so
1: oh I, yeah that shit probably uh, exists in north carolina those hotels are probably real then
0: <laughs> yeah okay i mean similar yeah, culture but yeah, you'll even see though they're not in trap. the same even though they're not even in the same area <laughs> just like, okay. yeah
1: you will you will see tourist trappy hotels like that all over those back roads and highways before the major through fairs came in and some of them still exist some of them are gone and some of them just you know are like in ruins now but in like the time frame that it feels like this takes place in like this sort of in and out of different times it feels like a sort of like the nineties with cell phones, but everybody doesn't know it's the nineties.
2: <laughs>
0: it, yeah. Oh, uh, well, you know, no, that's actually a really good point. It definitely feels like someone has studied up on various hellish areas that they've encountered. And they're like, we want you to introduce you to the hell that I went through or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Just, and then infuse his own philosophy on it uh, into the fantasy of it. Yeah. The uh, culture,
1: the culture they developed in this is so rich and vivid and it's all told in just visual styling. They don't bother explaining a whole lot of the rules, the way that everything's yeah. set up. You you have to figure it out on your own. But like Well,
0: if they did, it probably would be kinda like some of some lesser Tarantino movie or even a Tarantino clone where it just gets pretentious because it can't hold its own weight, its own world together, the more it explains it. So it's just like, okay, give enough of a build up to where now we're we've at least accepted that and then we'll we'll just like you say, let it all speak for itself, because the more detail, the more this just isn't going to be nailed together. <laughs> yeah,
1: and it also feels like these guys are living in the same world as Cody from Streets of Fire, you know? Like, it yes. seems like it's the exact same fucking world. Like, Cody could show up at any minute and be like, I thought you brawlers was badass, you know? And just, like, start beating <laughs> on him or something.
0: I, I'm sure Walter Hill wishes he had done the show. <laughs> Oh, that's—yeah, okay, so Walter Hill, the
1: perfect— I would like to amend how I I feel this show works now. I think this show is actually, if Walter Hill and David Lynch somehow collaborated, that's what we would get, is is this show.
0: (laughs) Right. Joel is Charlie Bronson from Hard Times. (laughs) I could probably see that. Only a bigger motherfucker.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that actor has so much fucking menace. Just ooh, the way that he just kind of grimaces for a, a brief moment. Like, it it sets your teeth on edge where you're like, oh, fuck, everybody's about to die.
0: Yeah, I was actually surprised that this was a A&E production for Hulu. Because, you know, they, they've been slumping lately, you know. They've been just the reality city and just, you know, trying to capitalize on other stylish crime shows but not really bringing much new to the table. Or canceling them before their time. Like, I'm still... Fuck you, A and E for canceling Longmire. That's a great old school Western show. Uh but Yeah, they 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 seem to make
1: a lot of deals with these various streaming stuff where they co-produce them and then like they get specific, you know, we'll put it on, you know, broadcast on our cable channels. Yeah. Yeah. And then then it'll go on to your platform. And I wish a lot more cable channels would co-produce with stuff like that and actually throw a little bit more into it to where maybe like the Hulu only content or the Netflix only content can be a little more violent, have a little bit more sex stuff to it. And like the kind of things, the sleaze that I want to watch, but what this show does so well is it hints at the sleaze enough to where I can play it off in my own mind and create my own little fantasy fan fiction about it all while I'm watching <laughs> what they actually are delivering for me. You know, it's like, yeah, you you go ahead and be perverted about what's going on in the bangerang Well, we're not showing it. That's fine. But meanwhile, you know, here's this shootout where a Thompson gun takes out, like, 50 cars.
0: <laughs> right. Well, But no, that is a good point. I mean, this does kind of just make you wish that, you know, half the other sci-fi fantasy genres would take note and say, just let your character speak for yourself. You know, just do, do enough backstory for them to where, you know, we, the fans, kind of have our own various endings for where they reconcile with one another and where they uh what what's left for them when the when the story hit has actually ended, you know. Where where do they go from here? And just to to have a fantasy land and then add your own fantasy to it is powerful stuff. And that is definitely so. Uh go, going back to uh Rita, just 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 a tad more. Uh she seems like she's kind of Joel's let alone the show's kind of connection to their version of the outside world being how she's like his wife considering a divorce. Uh, what what did you get from her?
1: Um, she's one of those folks that she left, so she can't come back. And right. it, it seems to me like the reason that she left was she had to give birth to the kid and then decided she didn't want the kid, so she saddled her with Joel. And so I feel like she's trying to escape everything and deny who she really truly is. And if yeah feels it,
0: I didn't see any drug problems with her or anything, and yet she just seemed just very angry and beside herself, like I say, so I mean. yeah,
1: I think she's probably suffering with some kind of guilt for all of the violence and all of the stuff that she's done, and she wasn't ready to be a mother, and she couldn't handle it, but she couldn't bear to be responsible for one more death, and, you know, like in her mind like to to lose the child would be one more death. And yeah. they show they show a really interesting turning point where her and Joe are both or Joel are both River Phoenixes, and you know she's drinking straight from a fucking pint of some kind of liquor, and oh, then she that's empties right. she yeah. empties one and then she's doing another, and then he's just chugging beer after beer. They go in to basically fuck up a bowling alley of like these various gangs that refuse to pay, and when <laughs> they come out they come out Joel's all stabbed to fuck, and I think that's supposed to be like her turning point. Because she finds out yeah. that maybe maybe she got pregnant and then he got stabbed and she's like, I can't live this life anymore. But they don't come right out and say it. They just really mm-hmm. like, again, they're hinting at a lot of this stuff. So well, I, f- it, I, f- I feel like maybe yeah. she, hit, she hit rock bottom and maybe she found out she was pregnant, but she couldn't stop drinking. And that got her out of this whole thing. She just decided to stop it all. And it looks like she even had her neck tattoos lasered off and the show as well so. cuz she doesn't have the rivers anymore but you can see like a hint of a faint scar um where those the river tattoo the three like swishy lines that are supposed to be the river tattoo
0: the tattoos are definitely for one saying something about the character backstory you know that every actor has to do when prepping for a role and so i can definitely see them wanting to do something for that cuz they're like hey you're part of a gang of course you're going to have a tattoo it's just kind of part of that culture so uh, she definitely has kind of an identity crisis she she has left whatever her previous lifestyle was for this violent lifestyle now she's left the violent lifestyle now she she's in the living version of purgatory she is just stuck between various walls she's just and she's a fuck-up, and now she can't even admit that she's a fuck-up And at the same time, who's going to be there for her?
1: You know, <laughs> She's like Clint Eastwood's character in Unforgiven Where yes. all of a sudden decides to take out and turn over a new leaf And live a new life, but can't even do that successfully Like, is not going to be no. a farmer You know, was always meant to be a killer Just stopped because of whatever reason And usually they'll have it like, you know, a man-killer stops Because the love of a good woman is redemptive for him But for her, it's all easier al- to
0: write Guys can't write women very well, but here they write. She's written pretty well.
1: Yeah, it's almost it's almost like having the child completely changed her, and she realized that she's got to get out of this life. But at the same time, the kid ties her to Joel and everything else. So she,
0: she loves Joel. Cry. She legit loves Joel, but yet, anytime she's near him, he's like, "I gotta go do one of my errands." <laughs> um, yeah.
1: I, I I don't I don't know exactly, I mean, like, I feel like she would be, she even says at one point whenever Joel drops off the daughter to try and get the daughter out of the life, you know, all together and just make sure that she'll be safe, you know, she says, you can't come back unless you're out, like, you know, then you can come with us and you can be a part of our life outside of this thing. Uh,
0: I'm definitely hoping some redemption for Joel, I think, I mean, this definitely is going to season two, I, I definitely got it that much, it seemed like it did pretty well with the Hulu ratings. I would hope that it did because I fell in
1: love with it and I'm clamoring for a season two. But, like, I feel like if Joel does get any kind of redemption, it's not going to matter because he still owes a debt to Catherine. I mean, well, there's, I,
0: that's pretty there's, much it. I feel like he's going to do something more for her because she's definitely they can't give each other the love due to their lifestyles. Yet they do legit love each other. Yet at the same time, you know, she's not wimpy, but needs help. And, oh, I, I meant
1: Catherine as in the Lady Seeking Revenge, not Rita. Oh, not as oh, well. Oh, yeah, 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 sorry. Um, yeah. Sorry. Because no, it's, it's Yeah, it's. I don't know what next for
0: Catherine. Catherine. I feel like this might even become an anthology where they're, they're going to introduce someone new, and then Catherine's going to find some that new person and help them exact their revenge because it's something similar to her previous encounters. Well, Bash and,
1: and, Bash and Joel are still alive at the end of the season like bash is fucked up but he's not dead
0: yeah uh, i think those guys are definitely going to be next they're gonna they don't need to rob a bank they got enough earnings they fucked up enough people that they're not going to be fucked with but uh yeah no i think doris is definitely going to be a mint mentor to someone and joel's joel might even start anchoring the show more because it seems like since they spend so much time on him but he's not the main character they might as well just well, it, him out some more
1: and it feels like by the way that the uh, the season ends too, it feels as though Maddie and the other guys from the River Phoenix, you know when they realized that Ethan was sort of a mole, but at the same time he was there for them, no matter what, and they they also were betrayed by the brawlers, and they're starting to see the sort of bullshit that they'll never be accepted, even in this club that accepts everyone. It feels like they are going to end up going with the monster ring, so perhaps Maddie johnson and ethan are going to be the ones that are going to be sort of like working with katherine and the rest of the guys in the monster ring to fair. do yeah. whatever it is that they're going to do but like it feels like it's going to escalate to where it's going to be that crew versus what all of the brawlers but because oh, I,
0: I have no doubt they'll get screen time especially earl cordell and even queenie herself i mean just her narration alone was brilliant so i'm sure she'll be in there somewhere i mean how yeah. can they not they've come yeah. this far it would be just detrimental let alone anticlimactic, after all that build up to not do them any more service and have more focus on them so
1: yeah and the, uh, the second like i'm hoping for a second season but honestly the way that the first season ended it's enough to where i would feel satisfied but i still want more of that world
0: at know? least a spin off or something just if you have to focus on just one one or free characters do that but don't not give us more you know um
1: Yeah, it's too rich of a world not to mine for a while. Like, this is very much a pulp novel world that you could just have, like, an entire series of stuff that runs forever with these various stories. And, I mean, you know, there's always somebody that was in love with or cared about somebody that got killed in this type of a life to look for revenge in some way, shape, or form. And someone has always been crossed that's going to be looking for some type of revenge. So the title Reprisal doesn't even really have to go away because— Everything that someone does in this world is going to come back on them in some way, shape, or form. There will always be that seeking of a reprisal. So it's it fits no matter what.
0: Uh-huh. Basically it. <laughs> um, no, and, and very well stated. I mean, a singular story, and then it's been using characters commentary on other characters to tell the overall essence, the soul of the story. So yeah, this, at this stage of it all, I mean, if they want to even just make a totally different world and have these characters just cameo here and there, I'm, I'm fine with that too. I mean, uh, I, I feel like Ron Perlman's character was going to be the big focus, and next thing you know, he's just kind of a shark sharking gangster. He has no fucking control of this town. He has some control, but he definitely doesn't have as much control as the other uh, gangsters and bike gangs.
1: <laughs> I love how he's so menacing and such a an, uh, horrible threat for like four episodes. Until Catherine finally comes right out and says to the monster ring guys who it is that, she, that after her, and they're like, "You talking about Big Graham, Detroit, blah blah blah," and they list off all this like stuff that should be menacing and terrified, and you feel yeah. like she's like, you feel like she's gonna have to backtrack and be like, "I'm really sorry." i i should have told you you know and like she's really gonna have to like me a copa them and then they just start laughing <laughs> like we robbed that fucker like seven times he ain't shit yeah. and they're just like they're talking trash about him and they're like he's pathetic you thought you had me all worried i thought that was gonna be your problem oh fuck big Graham, and then like you're yeah, immediately like because i
0: mean he starts out kind of innocent and all and then you know he fucks her up you know just bashes her face in and then yeah, the rest of the time he just has all these worried looks when he sees those guys strolling from town. So he's definitely a coward. He's def- he he has enough men, but if they wanted, you know, that he'd be done he'd be gone by sunrise. You'd never hear from him again. You would never know what happened to him. He's definitely that kind of Yeah, he would just ah, be in the way. No.
1: Like if he had any of the characters that the brawlers were looking for, it would not take very long for the brawlers to destroy everything he has just to get at the people that he's holding.
0: He's you know. a town bully, yeah. And he, I mean, it, it, before you know it, I mean, if they wanted to, I mean, they could even bribe his men, and they would gladly kill him. Probably, you know, he has that sense of a guy who's using a bunch of mercenaries or hired guns, but no one who's really loyal to him. Or it, it, if he did have anyone working for him, he he could be sold out in a heartbeat. He definitely doesn't feel like he's, you know, inevitable. In terms of demise, I mean, he definitely, if he's not going to get fucked up now, he's definitely going to get fucked up soon.
1: <laughs> I get the, I also kind of get the feeling that, again, they're kind of doing some contrast here where you, you see the world of organized crime and it's all about the money that Big Graham is in, where these guys are all doing this stuff, but they're not loyal to each other. They don't care about each other. It's yeah. more or less just like what you can do and what you can earn, as opposed to these sort of 1% club gangs that literally it's about, the good for the club or the good for the group and that everybody would sacrifice, but they also would fight for each other and everything like that. I think that, that contrast really shows.
0: He doesn't have that with his gang gang at all. Yeah. His other henchmen are just typical, you know, Godfather ties. There's like anything you say, boss, you know, (laughs) until my next paycheck. you know. (laughs) Right. And it's exactly
1: like you had said, um, the fact that, that he lives in that world where it's all about earning in the money, like, as soon as he becomes too inconvenient versus how much he can actually earn, any of his partners are just going to whack him and get him out of the way and let the next guy step up, because that's how that type of organized crime always works.
0: He, Yeah, he definitely has that kind of frustration, like, he's a loan shark, but he's also has a lot of dues to pay, and, I mean, if they even wanted to, if they... Wanted to just fuck around with him in just kind of a milder way, like destroy his various products, whatever else he's shipping in. You know, he would definitely run run away from that town, change his name, go to a different city or state. <laughs> he's he's definitely could be easily driven away. Oh, uh, whether he escaped with his life or not it wouldn't matter. He would still be fucked.
1: <laughs> yeah, it would be interesting to kind of see what ends up happening. Where you know, is is his crew in the brawler's crew are going to be butting heads to try and get at Catherine and the monster ring, because everybody's got a vendetta, you know, is that going to be the next season of reprisal where he's trying to get a reprisal against everybody that fucked him over, <laughs> you know, um, how's yeah, this, how's this going to work?
0: Cause like you say, Catherine has came and fought the good fight. So it's, it's anyone's guess as to who's the next focus. <laughs> well, and it's
1: interesting that like, you know, her own husband, you know was part of that that left her for dead and then she got revenge on her own husband in a way where she basically did as much physical damage if not worse to him set to the tune of damn it janet i love you which was so amazingly shot um the sequence and the the choreography that she does with that (laughs) stabbing to that yeah it was so amazing and so she leaves her husband or what about the opening
0: strangle and then you know (laughs) Messing the guy up in the kitchen—that was really, oh my god, that was like Stephen King violent. (laughs) What what's
1: amazing about the way that Catherine does violence is she finds the simplest route. Again, using the way that everyone underestimates her. That guy didn't see her as didn't see her as a threat at all. And the next thing you know, he's zip tied to a chair with a zip tie around his throat, strangling him, just so she has enough time to burn the letter in front of him or the the contract in front of him and tell him that. There's no point to any of this, and then he cuts himself loose, and he doesn't see her as a threat once he gets himself cut loose because he figures she just got lucky. He starts talking shit to her, and then she just fucking brains him with a gun, like splatters him all over the kitchen, and then walks out. You know, like I. Yeah. I, feel, I the one thing this show That's does really well. That's how you really
0: begin well, a show. You have yeah. to begin show that way because yeah. so many other shows are just taking their sweet time, just relying on a star to handle it all. And I'm sick of it. I'm done. I'm not going to do that anymore. It just I had that with Queen of the South, which I mean, I sound like I'm being snobby because I was an extra on that, but no, that's how I was. Whereas I'm looking at all these pretty faces and all these talented actors, and I'm like, yeah, but it's more of the same horseshit which I've already seen. I don't, I need something new. <laughs> this definitely is something new. I mean, just okay. by the fact that the style is the star and the, uh, it's world building through uncanny methods. So, I mean. Yeah, I could totally see that. I, I think
1: the thing that this show does really, really well is, and I keep coming back to it, but just like underestimating and not not letting appearances be enough and trying to calculate more of what's under the surface. Because if you do just tend to take things at face value, it will definitely destroy you. And I think, I, I mean, that's almost the definition of a reprisal anyway.
0: <laughs> is, yeah, know, I mean, the poster alone. Uh, it's kind of wrecking it at face value, yet at the same time telling you that, hey, you're expecting something unrealistic. So it kind of does but doesn't tell the story, you know what I mean? Because, I mean, yeah. she does not dress up like that at all. She looks like a fucking Avenger or some bullshit, some superhero, but she's not. She, she might as well be a superhero because she's... It's a very uncanny, larger-than-life world that they're portraying here with different eras, all in one distorted vision. But it's deliberately distorted. So, you know, it's they they did not dick around on this. They definitely took what they love about Noirish uh, and homage themed movies. And like you say, they took other stuff that they grew up loving that spoke to them and that just shows them their narrative. I, I definitely like this other than Noirish stuff like uh Mob City. I this is way fucking better than good behavior. I was so let down by that one. I don't like it as much as Briar Patch or Banshee. But it's up there. It's It would still make the top 10, by all means, just because it's, again, just a good – I mean, it might not be Robert Town or Elmore Leonard, but it's pretty fucking close. I mean, it's – these guys live and breathe noir for – even though they come from totally different TV shows, you never even expect them to have this kind of voice. They definitely speak speak it. This, this is their, definitely their number one favorite genre. And the stuff you like, you tend to do a wonderful tribute to. So.
1: Yeah, it feels almost like this was a, um, not necessarily a vanity piece, but like a, uh, you guys did so good on this other series. Why don't we give you this that you've been wanting to do forever? Like, this feels like yeah. the this we feels like the, the passion project. Together. Yeah, like, okay, yes, you have to do, like, seven more seasons of The Handmaid's Tale, but we'll give you this reprisal.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's all you can ask for is just, because I think that's the other thing. So many shows go on so long that as a result, I mean you've seen it one too many times with various long running shows where the actors are either bored or the materials just not the best just because they they've been doing it so long that they've gotten too comfortable to the point where they've worn out and this is still fresh and new and uh, exciting enough that, that there's definitely enough energy let alone life to continue on at least at least give it one or two more seasons and as opposed to be every other show where, oh, we, we've we run out of character development, so we're just going to have a crime of the week or a random killing of the week just because we're out of ideas.
1: <laughs> I think the later seasons of Sons of Anarchy really started suffering with that. Like when they started getting involved with the cartels and everything, it was like, you guys should have ended this like four seasons ago.
0: Uh, I, I'm with you. And the minute I saw that Mayan show being displayed with Edward James almost playing once again a gangster after years of saying i'm tired of being typecast in gangster roles is like god you suck ups
1: <laughs> he's actually playing the father of a gangster who's trying to get the his kids out of that gang uh, well so yeah. there you
0: go. that's a compromise
1: but right uh, but i i get what you're saying and actually um mayans is kind of a breath of fresh air where you get to come back into that world but it's from a different perspective and i've okay. actually enjoyed that first season so far so you okay, might want to well, give that a shot good.
0: Uh, I will definitely do so at your urging because I like J.D. Pardo but he's been one of those actors that's kind of varied in various roles that I've seen him in, Like, so I didn't know that he would be comfortable enough carrying a show, being the leading man, but if that's the case, then he must have been comfortable or again you know sometimes the magic just happens <laughs> you got an actor who may not be perfect or right for the part but for whatever reason they speak to the camera and are well used in that instance i i do this all the time when i watch stuff like sopranos or law and order i see all these actors and they fucking suck and then i see them on those shows i just mentioned and i'm like they actually worked well so you know every set is run differently and everybody can be used well i mean If I'm going to take an infamous actor who kind of sucks, then I might as well have him play a shit character or, you know, maybe a failed actor, or better yet, just someone who's not funny who gets, you know, killed. (laughs) So, I mean, you can can make bad acting work.
1: (laughs) A good supporting cast um, that will give the proper reaction can really make your brooding, uh, strong, silent-type work, too. You know, you got to have the right person to play off of it. And, you know, like that that I mean at least in the Mayan's case um they have this entire rich world that's already there you already know about them but what you actually get to see is like what their day to day is like and how their culture sort of contrasts with the suns and what their tables look like and what their churches are for whenever they're actually doing their meetings and their updates and stuff and you know it takes place like after suns when the Mayans took over the cartel deal so yeah. There's a lot of border crossing and stuff like that going on, and it deals with a pretty good touchstone of the, the modern day uh, put up a wall and make Mexico pay for it kind of horseshit.
0: Oh, well, then I'm definitely interested now if it's dealing with Sicario 2 level, you know, real life parallels. So, no, uh, yeah. I, I, will, I will definitely check that out then. Uh, and it's funny that you bring that up because it seemed like for the longest time, Sons of Anarchy. Uh, I know the creator. I always forget his fucking name. He's married to Katie Siegel. Um, Kurt Sutter. Yeah, Kurt Sutter. uh, He already kind of got a lot of flack because he would often come up with even more what-the-fuck level stuff on the shield that never really got resolved or just came up and then you forgot about a few episodes later. And it seemed like he kind of went all carefree. He went all out. And every once in a while, it would seem like he was just using leftover subplots. I mean, like he had the he had the same 49ers gang from the shield on there. as was like one of the opponents <laughs> that they would mention. So it was like, it seemed like he was so comfortable kind of being a loose spinoff. Sometimes you look at the prisons and they're clearly showing reruns of the shield in there. I'm like, God, that's one fucked up prison. <laughs> if You're watching that <laughs> show. And I was like, if you leave prison, you're going to get beat up by a cro- crooked gang of strike team cops. <laughs> um, and so I, I feel like he definitely got a little too comfortable with himself there. And he just decided Uh, I'm just going to use leftover stuff, and I don't care that it doesn't really mean anything. I I just want to have gangs fighting because I know how to write them because I came from that kind of lifestyle. So that's cool that they're bringing a whole new voice. There's like, okay, it's more than just gang warfare. It's about how they got into the life, uh, who they answer to at the end of the day. I do like stuff like that when you see people showing these different sides. Uh, Have you by any chance seen uh, Yellowstone?
1: Yes, I watched the first season of that I, with my wife.
0: Oh, you're going to love season two, buddy. It, it is... Oh my fucking God. I think I I think I think got about a dozen heart attacks just watching it. It was just so... <laughs> just breathtakingly brutal. Uh, I, I, will, even,
1: I will admit the first season, it meandered a good bit in the world building, but a did. lot of folks probably didn't... Did. I feel like they needed to really explain a ranching lifestyle to a lot of folks that would be watching it. And then also a lot of people that would be all like into cowboy anyway, just wanted to watch the ranching lifestyle stuff, but it meandered a little too long with stuff on the ranch. But when season one finally started going off and you started seeing all of the developments and why the characters are behaving the way that they are and sort of like this organized crime branch style is really an interesting take. Um, I think it pairs well with what worked great in Longmire as well. Like I, I think those two, you could watch them back to back. And how great would it have been to see like Longmire take on an evil rancher like this
0: guy? <laughs> oh, oh, better yet, uh, how about him and Raylan Gibbons from Justified? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So then you'd have. I mean, I always joked how Longmire was like Justified, but without as many, you know, racist rednecks and just more Native American crimes. And again, much like the Yellowstone guys, just you know evil land grabbers so um but no that that would be one clusterfuck and hell uh th- there you go have Catherine even be marrying her way into <laughs> the yellowstone <laughs> family and uh, then, then things will definitely get interesting but no i i definitely i i i definitely had a few episodes that dragged in the strip club for me here in reprisal but i definitely agree too that yellowstone like episodes four through six didn't need them didn't not not well uh well performed but like you say just filler didn't need it could have been just six or eight episodes instead of 10 but no season two blows it all out of the water is like all the stuff that they've been building up pays off and then just all the other additional villains that they've added like they've added terry serpico who's been in stuff like uh designated survivor as uh some madman terrorist guy and then they had uh neil mcdonald the great neil mcdonald another justified native who's always been the go-to for just playing a shit-eating grinning, you know, maniac. Uh he he fucking chews the scenery in every scene he's in, but it's all merited and I'm just glad that he's, you know, in that one as opposed to more of these pathetic, you know, superhero shows it's like great. This is the Neil McDonald I've been waiting to see for a while. And uh that it really does do what my screenwriting professor when I was in college uh definitely liked about stuff like The Shield where again, the stakes are raised. The characters can lose something as opposed to just, you know, do a dick measuring contest and see who they're going to kill next. I mean, because, uh, like, it goes, like, three different directions in one fucking season. So that that alone is worth the merit. And uh, you definitely feel like you're seeing more of the best of Taylor Sheridan's work, especially near the end. It definitely has a lot of the same kind of gray area, you know, military characteristics that you saw in Sicario and even Hell in High Water. So he's definitely... Season two raised the bar really well. <laughs> I can't recommend it enough.
1: Well, <laughs> just... oh, that's awesome. You know, and just to kind of compare and contrast, since we are talking mainly reprisal here. Now, what I have to say bad about the Yellowstone first season also needs to be pointed out that usually your first season, you're always just trying to find your way anyway. Every show that I've ever loved, the first season, going back and watching it after watching the second and third, once the show actually finds its footing and everything.
0: Except that's... the two. <laughs> okay fair enough the, 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 the show knew what it was from the ground up because sean ryan is good at outlining every season to make sure it speaks for itself okay but but, usually, but you know i totally can yeah y- no yeah, yeah, usually, usually right. the pilot usually, is often the weakest yeah, bit of U-track that we've ever seen
1: <laughs> yeah usually the the first season is usually the weakest and then once you get the world once you get familiar with the characters once everybody gets comfortable with what they're doing in their production that tends to be the end of the first season they get that wrapped up And then usually the second season comes in strong and just really fucking goes for it for these types of episodic TV where it's an ongoing tale. So, I mean, hearing that about Yellowstone after my initial feelings of like, well, this was great, but it did drag in certain parts and then kind of really looking forward to what we're going to get if we get a second season of Reprisal, like what that could be since they've got all that other stuff out of the way, because it's such a strong, solid one off if it is going to be that like, what could they even possibly do with a t- season two of this? Like, where's that going to go?
0: I'm That's sure got they're even intrigued. thinking that. They're probably shitting their pants right now saying, fuck, what do we do? You know, we've been, uh, we've been working long hours, overnights, writing this, making it, you know, stick together well. A prequel wouldn't work because, you know, everyone's just aging way quicker nowadays. I don't think that would work. Well, maybe it could. Maybe you could have Earl and Cordell before they became, you know, the cleaners for her. <laughs> before they became, before they became the monster ring, but we we did say how the creators have previously worked on the TV version of Fargo, which I thought was really good. So maybe they could, maybe they could do that. Maybe even add some of that same, same off color humor that we liked about the Fargo show. Maybe even have some of the same comedic talent, like Kate Walsh or Keegan Michael Kay Make a stop here. I wouldn't mind.
1: The thing that huh. the Fargo show does really well is takes normally comedic actors and puts them in very menacing roles even though they're very silly yeah. and funny they mm-hmm. still have a very serious like nasty overtone which is i mean that goes back to the original fargo with the cohens they did an excellent job with that taking someone right. like buscemi or even at the time peter stormer was more playing roles of a comedic nature too where he was always silly like and the most i remember from him is this is russian space station don't touch nothing you know
0: <laughs> yeah, no no that that's true and it's like uh before he was in every other Cohen, Michael Bay or Prison Break post role it seemed like yeah, it, uh, I I would have never known that he was a comedic talent because he's just ever since Fargo been playing all these psycho or abusive authority figure roles since. So, no, very good point. I definitely feel like we could definitely have a lot of other guys sink their teeth into it. And I I'm just sick in general of how everyone acts like a show has to win all the awards and everything. It's like, no, people are sick of. That. Did you ever see the show Banshee? Uh, I feel um, like
1: I've I know the title, but I don't know if I've ever actually watched uh, it. it.
0: It was a Skymax show that was actually really good. And uh, basically, it's as close as you're going to get to if the Punisher came into a town and he, he does exactly what Catherine does, where you know, uh, except he's actually being an imposter. like a sheriff dies in front of him and he assumes his identity because no one's ever actually seen the sheriff, so to speak. So it's one of those, uh, just wrap your head around it and the implausibility actually works, you know? And so, but it was also very noirish, Like it it did a lot of just ex-con getting back from a failed heist, you know, post-prison life, uh, that sort of thing. So I definitely feel like this reprisal could, even though there's somewhat different styles, they're still kind of one of the same in terms of their a movie-esque show made for movie lovers, especially old-school, uh, 50s to 80s-type pulp. So, yeah. I'll have uh, to track I, that down, then, on your recommendation. Yeah, if you want uh, if you want a mix of heist, martial arts, and mystery, it, it's definitely going to reward you. It also has a lot of underrated actors like Ivana Milosevic, uh Ben Cross, yes, Ben Cross from Chariots of Fire, uh, Zoko Ivanek, and
1: I know Ben Cross as the other Barnabas Collins from the '90s revival.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, oh that's true. <laughs> yeah, no, Ben Ben's my I love Ben to death. He's just one of those guys who it's easy for everyone to shit on and is like, well, no, he's a legit good actor. He's just you
1: know, I don't- I th- I think he has a very unique look and a serious intensity. That, How about the voice? He can do
0: yeah. so many different accents. I've seen him in all these other otherwise schlocky, low-budget stuff, but he's done plenty of other cable TV stuff, and he's like, you know, he did a banged-up job. <laughs> well, I mean, I I was jokingly
1: saying that, but like, I love that 90s revival, and I thought he did an excellent job as um yeah, he did as, as Barnabas. But there was another movie that was like a made-for-TV movie or something like that where he played a vampire and was like super intense, and I'm like, why is he not? Why, why didn't he get a role in, like, Interview with a Vampire? Why was he not, like, you know, one of I those vampires? Like because he va- had a
0: shit agent or something, because it seemed like he and, uh what's his name, who played the Wishmaster, Andrew Devoff, just always have been pretty well-liked professional actors, men of a, many different faces, much like Rory Cochrane here, and i don't know I, I don't know what kind of offers they're getting what kind of agent they have but it's like they deserved better they they needed to be at least a james bond villain or have some other kind of crime or like you say vampire oh. show.
1: Going on. <laughs> jesus yeah now that you mention it ben cross was cut out of cloth to be made a james bond villain like he is just you just look at him and he's, menacing. he's
0: yeah the closest you get is he's in the pre uh pierce brosnan pre bond role uh as the main villain in Live Wire, but he's more of a Patriot oh, diehard villain. I loved
1: Live Wire. That's the one where people get turned into bombs by drinking some kind yeah, of weird kick no, it, It's yeah, so it's ridiculous, a... but so weird and cool.
0: Yeah, no, it was a very well done, yeah, cable uh uh TV film from Canada and it, it was made two years before Speed. That <laughs> was blowing buses up. So yeah. Yeah, it's that's also got another beloved uh, bad guy actor, Tony Plana, who Every once in a while, when I see him on a show making a guest spot, uh, you know, pl- often playing an army general or someone's dad, I'm like, "But don't you remember when he was playing gangsters? <laughs> we need more gangster roles <laughs> from you, Tony." <laughs> oh, uh, we're I'm so glad I'm doing another episode next week on cult actors because we're gonna name thousands of them. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, there, there'll be plenty of Tony Todd, Lance Henriksen, and bruce campbell there but we'll have plenty of other people like debbie rokan who's been the go-to for being in any bz grade movie the closest we got nowadays is jamie bernadette she she has come a long way and i'm actually good facebook friends with her she is fucking awesome she's just legit good actress good writer good producer come a long way since starring bullshit for the asylum so
1: (laughs) well i mean there's a lot of decent actors that end up doing stuff for the asylum yeah, basically yeah. for kind of like a paycheck.
0: One of them, unfortunately.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, and like, I mean, like I'm a, I'm a big fan of DJ quals. Like I really liked that guy. Cause he's always kind of yeah. awkward and silly, but he always finds his niche and like having him be like citizen Z and Z nation was like the thing that kept me watching that show. Like I really dug him in that. And I know a lot of people like to shit on the asylum, but like what they're doing is no different than what like Roger Corman's factory was doing. They're just more blatant about it, where they're literally like, yes, it's like that movie. We've even named it Transmorphers.
0: That is a good (laughs) point. Everybody does like to act like, oh, Roger Corman, you know, they buy into his bullshit that he made a bunch of people's careers. It's like, well, that's half right. Yes, he gave them their start, but he didn't pay them well. He certainly no definitely stopped using them after he was done with them. So, I mean... That's kind of why I prefer Charles Band overall, because he just ate it all up. He's like, yeah, I'm doing killer doll movies. I'm doing wacky movies with my buddies Tim Thomerson and Jeffrey Combs. I'm, and but at least he had all this merchandise to back it up, and it's and it was a family run business, so you had that kind of little extra love as opposed to Roger, who just said, hey, I'm gonna use stock footage and remake my own bullshit and make it even shittier. <laughs>
1: Or take like $70,000 out of the budget for Rock and Roll High School to get Storm Shutters put on its house.
0: Oh, my fucking God. Yeah, and just that is just absurd stuff. And he's he always goes, I regret not making Easy Rider. I'm like, you should regret not making Easy Rider, Just stupid shit. <laughs> that was great. But then again, it didn't need you. It was a legit good movie, and all you did is give Peter Fonda the cameras.
1: <laughs> I love oh. and respect Corman as a director and as a filmmaker when he was making his own films. Yeah, Fast, I am, the
0: fifty-five Fast and Furious is actually really good, in my opinion.
1: I, I am not a huge fan of Corman as a producer and as a uh as a filmmaker, other than a lot of the films that came out of his stock whenever people would rise above whatever like limitations they were given and make something incredible. But yeah, yeah he was he was really good at finding talent because he was able to just hire folks and I, I mean like again we're we're back to talking about like a lot of these kind of like low budget b-movie factories like the asylum but Which I think that
0: proposal is kind of like a better version of you know like it is kind of a low rent biker slash noir but don't wait better you know yeah it's actually it's ver- dedication it's very much, to it
1: it's very much the very same pulp novel um kind of high concept thing that is not easy to take for your average viewer but
0: Especially the folks that are going to be into it are going to
1: be obsessed with it yeah
0: yeah I'm a fucking millennial, and I hate that <laughs> because I remember the good times growing up. I don't remember all this other new horse shit. when someone names me this new actor, like, oh, the new guy who's in whatever Marvel movie. I'm like, and why <laughs> oh, should we give a fuck? You know, it's like, no, yeah. I, I, you can like it all.
1: You can, you really can, if you, if you want to. I but like I've,
0: it I've, all, but I mean, it's so hard to even keep track of some new names because I mean, we're seeing indie films be just churned out by the dozens to where it's getting even harder even with streaming now to even keep up with it all cuz you're not sure if you'll it'll live up to the hype, you're not even sure if you'll like it and yes you, you're you're right. You can like it all, you, you can like it in different ways and but I mean back in the 90s it seemed like they were still learning the industry enough to where you could still kind of slow down and so you knew various actors for various roles as opposed to I only know them for like this specific role nowadays. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing a lot of that now. as opposed oh. to
1: yeah the it, it's kind of a blessing and it's a curse all at once the glut of access to all of this different content that you would not have had otherwise and mm-hmm. the streaming the streaming sites are just competing for newer and newer and just their own unique content that no one else has available it's only available here and yes yeah. so, in doing that you have a, so much stuff that's available but at the same time it's like you don't have enough time to really consume it all as mm-hmm. opposed to growing up when I had, like, if I could get it at the local VHS shop, that's what I watched.
0: You know? Yeah, I mean, I still <laughs> I still go to my nearby library. I mean, I'm a big proponent of that. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, and we're still having the people who are doing the whole physical media versus streaming media, and I'm just like, just be happy that there's an option, guys. I, I used to be so sick of everyone doing the whole DVD versus VHS war, and to just have DVD, Blu-ray, 4K, or streaming that that is a blessing alone there doesn't have to be just one
1: <laughs> my argument for dvd versus vhs was always better picture the same thing with my argument for Laserdisc over vhs my argument for blu-ray over dvd is better picture my argument for 4k disc over blu-ray is better picture i don't really care that much about the features anymore because in a lot of cases i just want to see the film if i'm collecting something on physical media it's because i want to get it in the best possible quality i can get my hands on so that i have it and i know that i'll have it the stuff that i stream tends to be things that are if it's available i'll watch it on streaming great if not you know whatever it's sort of like a, a time filler thing like i'm sure that if somebody brought some type of physical media over to my house with a reprisal, and I watched it, and that was the only way I'd be able to get it is through some type of physical media, I probably would have purchased it.
0: Um, It's getting a little more complex now, because now it's like, TV shows are only put on DVD, unless they're an HBO or Showtime show, then they definitely get a Blu-ray upgrade, but uh, it's getting even more annoying how sometimes the, I mean, like, they fucked up the whole Terminator transfer on the Blu-ray, it just darkened it to where I can't see shit, but then there's (laughs) Then there's other Blu-rays where I'm like, I'm glad that because otherwise, you know, this is an out of print VHS movie. That There's still some stuff that they'll definitely never release on Blu-ray just because it's just always been a DVD or VHS only thing, and it's just getting annoying having to just kind of justify it all. Let alone pick the most affordable way to watch it. Let alone the best way to watch it because, <laughs> like you say, there, you know, picture is does make a difference in enjoyability. So.
1: Well, and I'm I'm such an avid fanatic for this kind of stuff that it's i will upgrade just because i know it looks better and i'll i'll do the research but you know like i I mean like i don't need 75 copies of the evil dead just because they keep putting it out like give me the best (laughs) give me the best quality transfer that i can get my hands on and then when you can prove to me that your 4k scan of an eight millimeter film is better than your 2k scan of an eight millimeter film was then yes i'll go for it which coincidentally i didn't think that was possible but i did see in theaters the Force k scan of evil dead that they cleaned up and you know all of that kind of stuff they still left the film grade and all that kind of stuff in but they rescored mm-hmm. it and all of that
2: and it was oh, incredible i could
1: i couldn't believe how it looked you know mm-hmm. i i didn't i wasn't a huge fan of the rescore or anything like that but like i was so amazed at how they actually made it look like i, I couldn't believe that they were able to get that much image off of an eight millimeter film stock that yeah. was shot the way that it was you know like i just i couldn't believe it you know and then mm-hmm. like it's. It's some of the same things too. If if I can get the best quality picture I can of a film that I love, I will buy it several times. I have multiple copies. I talk about that all the time on my podcast. So
0: You do. Yeah, and you do a good job especially when you're looking for the mm-hmm. obscure of the obscure, you know, giallo stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's you 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 have to really do your research because like sometimes someone will get a print overseas that they'll do a brand new 4K scan of something that's like not necessarily the original negative but maybe it's the inner positive they'll clean it up better they won't put any of the dnr on it or anything like that and it'll look amazing but then someone like a shout factory say here in the states will release it but what they do is they just go out and grab the 2k scan that's already here in the states and they don't bother trying to get that new source you know but i'm not saying that they lie about it but they just don't they just don't do it so like Uh you have to you have to make sure and sometimes i wait for like the blu-ray.com reviews where they'll show you screen caps where you can compare and contrast Uh because sometimes sometimes like i'll give you a really good example one of the one of the copies i have of hellraiser on blu-ray and i'm not going to name the companies here but there's like a six dollar blu-ray copy i have of it that Mm -hmm. was a brand new transfer that's in 2k and then there's another one that came possibly in a box set from another company that was proposing to be like you know a brand new 4k scan and all of that that then is get downgraded to 2k and the $6 mm. one that was scanned originally in 2K actually looks better to me and, you know, is is a better transfer than the one that's in 4K. So you have to do your research and you have to be careful. But the reason I bought the box set is because two, three, four, and all the other ones that were in that box set actually look better than any of the other versions that I have. But, you know, <laughs>
0: that's how it does. Yeah, it, it does seem like a gamble half the time. And it's even like when you get those DVD or Blu-ray, you know, triple or, you know, Cinco packs, where it's like... If there's at least three good movies on here, it's a good buy. If all of these movies are shit, it's a it's a shit buy. And if they all look terrible or like crappy, you know, VHS transfers, then we're definitely in trouble. Uh, I know some people were complaining about the James Bond ones, which look to be more like satellite rips as opposed to going actually for the old negatives. And then at the same time, I just take it all with a grain of salt because I know just about anyone can do it. So what's stopping you know, professional companies from doing it either. I mean, I do the same thing when I'm even watching regular TV. I can tell, you know, some of this stuff, especially the CBS stuff seems to be filmed on either Sony cameras or even red cameras. And the ones that are on red seem like they're just fucking around in the editing room a little too much with the color correcting. So, I mean, I can only imagine what it looks like on when you actually buy those shows on DVD or Blu-ray. So (laughs) I, I don't know. I, I, definitely. Like you feel like it is the luck of the draw. You should just, again, yeah, just look at DVD clinic or whatever and <laughs> decide which version you want to get.
1: Yeah, do your research. Ask your fellow fans, someone else that may have bought it, find out the best print. Or worst worst case scenario, if it's somebody like me that has bought like multiple copies of it, will like of a film that they absolutely love, will go through and like lay out what looks the best and what sounds better and which versions of which film they bought actually looks the greatest. Like, my favorite movie of all time, Ninth Configuration. I went on, like, a diatribe for, like, ten minutes describing all the various <laughs> yes, releases.
0: <you> <laughs> yeah, I remember that. That was funny.
1: It's, yeah. like, it's like, if you want this, then you're going to want this version. If you want that, then you're going to want this version. But best overall is this one.
0: <laughs> yeah, it wasn't Matt just, like, sour about it. He did not enjoy it, and you're like, oh, what the fuck, man, this is a great movie. <laughs> no, no, he that was one that he actually did like. So, okay. we're good. There's been plenty that
1: uh, my taste and his taste are, are very... um very much mutually exclusive sometimes Uh, but
0: I love it when he takes the sound clips and you're like that's a terrible sound clip get a better one for me to use (laughs) yeah he's gotten better at it though (laughs) oh yeah I I can tell you're giving him less shit now
1: (laughs) or either that or I just gave a less fucks about it I'm like whatever the sound clips aren't why people listen to the show they're listening to the show for us to give each other shit so it's fine
0: (laughs) yeah Whew. well thank you ever so much uh for being on here uh would you like to plug anything including your own cinema psyops podcast
1: uh yeah it's really easy to find cinema psyops you do a google search for cinema psyops you're going to find everything our landing page for grabbing the episodes is legionpodcast.com forward slash cinema dash psyops if you're in the itunes uh or i should say apple podcast app if you do a quick search for cinema with a space we're like the fourth one down so hey, not hard to find no, yeah it, i am actually really happy that, that that popped up when you did the search we're like the fourth entry down for just cinema cuz there's so many other great podcasts that start with cinema or reference cinema in some way so <laughs> uh, yeah and if i would just say go to legionpodcast.com uh there's a bunch of other amazing podcasts on that network i'm proud to be a member of that that network but yeah i'm trying to get into to it this.
0: I gotta, I gotta prove my worth
1: <laughs> uh, Actually, it's, not, to,
0: it's not that it, hard okay
1: no it, it really isn't you just have to not be an asshole and just like get the right timing to where Bo's looking to add somebody and you'll be fine
0: <laughs> yeah because cause i tried last time and i think he was in the he was going through a medical treatment so i'm like okay i'm gonna wait wait till summer and then i'll contact him again <laughs>
1: Yeah, there's yeah. Uh, always a time where he's kind of looking to add shows and stuff like that. And, I mean, that's um, how
0: I joined the Action Elite when I first started reviewing for them. They were just looking for other people, and then they're like, we're good. Because the other people we got, they're too dry, they have no sense of humor, we're looking for that. I'm like, okay, <laughs> perfect.
1: <laughs> well, you know, you just put out some feelers and see how he's, he's feeling about it. I can't really speak for him too much. All I know is that I had an advocate to get me on there and a couple other folks that really wanted me to join I was Legion Jason for like ever until finally I was like, what if he rejects me?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> but
2: you know, no, I, that's I had... what
0: I noticed is a, a big thing in general. Just It's the same as the thing as getting a job. You got to understand what they're looking for versus how you even got it. <laughs> right. And I have, I, I,
1: I, we like to joke that, uh, you know, that that's the biggest mistake that Legion ever made was bringing us on the show, like on their, on their network. But I, I think it's actually been quite a good fit. And I, I think we've, uh, we've we've coexisted quite well and actually have helped to build each other's uh worlds a little bit better and i'm 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 really glad to be a part of it so i don't know hopefully it'll work out for you
0: well and then uh, i mean i discovered uh you guys through they must be destroyed on site which again i swear by and uh as well as i mean those guys i saw them i think promoting a lot for the Midnight Movie Cowboys, which, you know, I stopped listening to because I wasn't on the same political page. But, uh I mean, I used to like listening to them because they were so funny. But, uh, yeah, it's the same thing, how just one person puts in a word for another person. And, and so just see how I discovered you, <laughs> one person and another person, a friend of a friend of a friend. <laughs> so.
1: Yeah, Lee's been really good to us, too. He's been extremely supportive. And I try to support back for both Lee and and Daniel and Paul, actually. Um Am I missing anybody uh, and, else on that show? I don't think well, so. That's the three main ones. Sometimes uh, Jack Graham that, shows up.
0: Jack Graham shows up, and uh, Daniel, and then there's... uh Oh, who else? Uh, oh, Greg is always fucking hysterical.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, he's more in the cape shit stuff, right?
0: Uh, that, and he's just like, yeah, hey, uh, if it came out of someone's ass, I'm eating it. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck, dude? There's <laughs> just so much fucked up shit, kind of like... <laughs> Uh, Matt on the on yours. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's one of my favorite things in the world is to play back a clip of Matt saying some horrendous uh, shit that he thought all he could cops just...
0: are dummies. Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck your couch. You should just put in some other Dave Chappelle stuff or some shit. <laughs> Fuck uh. your couch. <laughs> I'm a Brady bitch. <laughs> oh. No, thank you ever so much for being on here, Court. Uh, it's been a long time coming. Glad we finally got to... Make it click. (laughs) Yeah, I'm glad it
1: worked out. This was a lot of fun.
0: I look forward to the next messed up, demented porn slash cannibal slash Italian rip off that (laughs) Uh, May is
1: May is fastly approaching, which means May Mitte for anyone that
0: knows. (laughs) Oh. May May the May the Swartz be with you. (laughs) That's a good way to end it. Uh, Yeah. I mean well, anything better than a dick joke i, I don't know
1: <laughs> usually not that's what my bread and butter is for my show
0: <laughs> yeah this is true if it's not joking about sex life then joking about you yeah. know every guy's favorite thing to joke about <laughs> oh either do that or get political <laughs> i've already gotten plenty i can't speak today i already got plenty of political riffs throughout the last few episodes so i think everyone's political out <laughs>
1: Yeah, I try to keep that away and make my show as much of an escape as possible and try and direct it all to Legion's psychosomatic well, cast you do for a my good political job talk.
0: Of, you do a good job of just kind of hinting at it. It's like, oh, kind of fucked up like in today's world, you know, and just leave the rest to kind of speak for itself. I, I kind of try and do that, and then there's other times where it's just – sometimes someone else brings it up, and then I just bite it, bite the bullet and say, yeah, you know what, I'll just – leave my two cents on that <laughs> oh you should totally I wish I could get you here for an episode of the two guys one cannot because I swear you guys are all cousins just all with the same kind of mentality
1: <laughs> well if I ever need to flee north maybe I'll have a place to stay
0: oh well I just mean in terms of the same kind of what the fuck kind of news that uh, yeah, they mentioned is very very much akin to this other fucked up stuff you guys find <laughs> just, it's just one in the. It's not one in the same, but it is part of the same kind of uh, shtick, if you will. <laughs> and God, we're we're lucky if we can even get a word in that makes sense. I mean, it makes sense, but it's still kind of jumbled thoughts in a way. Oh, editing how I love you so.
1: <laughs> it saved my ass more times than I can count.
0: Uh when when you met, admitted this, like you're using Final Cut, I was like, yeah, fuck, I'm still using iMovie. <laughs>
1: Oh yeah, I'm just quicker on it. That's why I started using it to cut the audio. That just I had it around and I decided to use it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Lee uses Adobe or something. It just it just shows you how anyone can make a podcast. And so it just comes all down to just how you want to market it, you know, where you want to find your audience.
1: <laughs> it's the best and worst thing about it. Anyone can do it.
0: Pretty much, and I mean, I like how it's just like with making a movie. I've I've, I've played that game enough times where it's like I'm not going to work on this unless everybody's serious because I'm done with doing a piece of shit movie where everyone's just sticking around and talking shit about each other. I won't do that. <laughs> Especially not going to take a day off of an otherwise busy job schedule and make my wa- life even more hell <laughs> just to do a shitty movie that I don't believe in.
1: <laughs> now I can totally see that.
0: Oh, yeah. I, I got plenty of stories I can tell you. I know guys who have worked for trauma, and they act like they're the greatest people in the world. It's like, oh, my God, go fuck yourselves. <laughs> Well, and I have nothing wrong with people using trauma. It's just they were just kind of like some of the Maverick people where it's like they're just very infamous and talking shit about other indie filmmakers. And it's like, well, you got no room to talk, buddy.
1: (laughs) I don't understand backbiting. I've never been a fan.
0: Well, it's just like, again, it's like when you're in the locker room and you're dealing with other people on a rival sports team, it's like, you know, this is all meant to be fun at the end of the day. (laughs) You can be competitive without, like you say, being a dick. So, and it's like, with all these people, I mean, I can understand having an ego, you kind of need some kind of ego, but when it's just so out of line and you're being a dick one minute, you know, and then you're playing it off like, Oh, I'm just acting. I'm like, no, you weren't. This is real life. There's no cameras on you. <laughs> You're just being an asshole one minute, and then wanting me to kiss your ass the next. It doesn't work that way, buddy. <laughs> uh, no. Thank you ever so much for summing up *Reprisal*. I, I, I think Court has summed it up best. I tried adding my two cents, but obviously, outdid yeah, me here, dude. You've studied it way more than I did. <laughs> and either way, we can't recommend it enough. I hope everyone can see it on Hulu and just, or any other device, and check it out
1: (laughs) yeah it's worth your time folks
2: the
0: jacked up review show can also be followed on facebook on both the page and the group feel free to chat leave questions make requests for future episodes you can also follow us on instagram and twitter thank you so much for your various support and we'll continue to entertain the hell out of you